Hey, everybody. I'm Jesse Hutch. I uh, hope you tune in, listen to Craig on Neil Before You Pod. Currently, I am on DC's Batwoman playing Agent Tavaroff, and I'm going to go way back. See if you can find me in Freddy versus Jason. Good luck. <laughs> Have a great day. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that wasn't even allowed to hang around outside Comic-Con hoping we'd hear anything. I'm your host Craig and we are here to discuss the news and trailers and all that stuff that dropped during the month of July in this year, which is 2022. And joining me this month for his turn at the news desk is Isaac. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Good. It's going good. The heat wave is over, so that's good. Yeah. Be comfortable indoors again. Yes. And how are you? Yeah, I'm okay. Like I said, it's more cosy temperature and enjoying the summer. Excited for Edinburgh Fringe and other stuff. So yeah, I'm in a good mood. Yeah, we've got the Fringe starting. It'll have started by the time this goes out, actually. That chaos again. It'll be kicking off. <laughs> it's all fun. Yeah. But anyway, why don't we start with our thoughts on things that we've been watching. So what have you been watching over the past, however long, since you were last here? So I've been watching through series two of Only Murders in the Building on Disney+. Plus. I don't know if you watched series one, but it's incredible. It's a really good murder mystery series with Martin Short, Steve Martin, and Selena Gomez as a sort of trio of residents of a big New York, old-fashioned-y, fancy apartment block. And there's a death in the building and they're all true crime podcast aficionados and they try and make their own and it, it leads into secrets and mayhem and hidden stuff all over the show and they're back with a second series which they're halfway through currently so it's, it's 10 episodes up to episode five and it's just as excellently designed it's very funny very well woven in crime drama i spend at least an hour after each episode on reddit following all the people who are trying to connect the dots and going back and re-watching scenes and trying to work out what's going on I'll definitely get it wrong, but I'm having an amazing time watching it. Is it a weekly release then, so it gives you time to think about it? Yeah, it's every Tuesday. Episode 6 will be on the day of recording, and it'll be out for everyone else, so you'll all be ahead of me. But yeah, it's it's weekly. You know, there's 10 episodes per series, so about halfway through. And is this a second murder in the same building? So this is like an aftermath. After series 1, they go a bit famous, because their podcast leads to great discoveries and true murder and the fans to podcasters sort of story but now this is dealing a bit more with the aftermath and there's still more dodgy stuff going on some threads that weren't fully tied up in series one that more lights being shed on definitely recommend it it's very very good it's probably my favorite thing on disney plus someone who spoke to me about it i can't remember who it was or when they said it but they were talking about the whole approach to podcasting in the show and in the show they'd seem to record their podcast with their iphones in their pockets and it's unrealistic in that none of them are complaining about having to edit it later that made me laugh when someone told me about that oh yeah it's just the glamour of podcasting <laughs> everything's just done on the iphone record and they just put it in and it all sounds perfect <laughs> yeah. 
there's no scene of someone deleting all their ums and ahs and cursing the fact that people have speech flubs. They keep doing that. They constantly refuse to get anyone's consent to record them, which is, I assume, true to life. A lot of it is secret recording. I think that's maybe what a lot of true crime is. I don't know if true crime podcasts are more just digging into a thing that's already happened rather than something that they're connected to, I suppose. I don't know. The fun of this one in the story is most true crime stories have an ending, whereas this one's ongoing. So it adds a bit more of in-universe fun for the listeners. They don't know if it's going to pan out successfully or anything could happen, which is part of their success. Now in season two, do they turn around to the camera and say, this podcast is sponsored by Squarespace. If you want to make a website about murders, then Squarespace is your guy or something. One of them is constantly trying to get, I think it's Marty Shorts, always looking for someone to help finance it. Does any person you can get who has a bit of a business to join in? So they get that bit right. All the begging. All the begging. Anything else been on your radar of watching? Or has it just been that mainly? I'm very looking forward to The Sandman to get a bit more of a look at, at Comic-Con this week. But it'll be out like four days after this podcast releases. Yeah, I think it comes out only one big go at the beginning of August. I'm sure people who are wanting to watch it have seen the trailer that came out the other day. It just looks really, really weird. And it looks very fun. Fun in the wrong way. It looks fun for the viewer, as opposed to fun <laughs> to living in this world. It looks like a weird, lucid dream nightmare mess. And yeah, I'm very excited to see that. Like you said, it's out very soon, so there won't be too long to wait to find out what it all is. I'll try not to binge all of it in a week, so hopefully there's a bit of suspense <laughs> I can carry on. But yeah, no, I'm very excited for that too. Yeah, I haven't even watched the Comic-Con trailer because I know it is out so soon. It gets to that point where it's, I'm okay, I'll wait. It's fine, I've seen enough of this. You know, that part of the hype where you're just like, I feel like I've seen enough of this. I just want to see the thing now. Yeah. So anything else? No, I think I would say in terms of this Sandman trailer, this is what I describe as it's a, oh, I know that from the comic trailer where there's establishing shots or landscapes or things that take the imagery from the books and put it on the big screen. It's one of those sort of trailers. So it's more of a visual recognition style one. In terms of watching stuff, that's pretty much it at the moment. So... Not too much to watch in the way. Fair play. My list is a bit light this month because most of my stuff is finished and I've spent more time recording and editing podcasts than I have much else. So I haven't really had much of a chance to watch stuff. But a bit of a tease for upcoming podcasts based on things that I've been watching. Ms. Marvel recently recorded a podcast on that. Thought the show was really good. I had some critiques of it, which you'll hear in the podcast when it releases. But generally speaking, I thought it was really good. What a great first performance for Iman Vellani. She really knocked it out of the park. I'm sure you'll agree. I know you've seen the show as well. I think, yeah, it is one of the better origin sort of things, and she is really good. I was very surprised to find out that this is her first acting role. Definitely. <laughs> she's just so confident in it. Yeah, she just walks off the page, doesn't she, basically? Yeah, she is like perfect casting, I think. Yeah. Strange New Worlds has finished now, and... There's a podcast on that coming up. been watching that. The thing that I've been watching that I'm not creating content about and just kind of enjoying it is The Orville. I think it's been pretty good this season. It could be its last season. There could be more of it. I don't know. It's, it's maybe up in the air at the moment. I don't know what the actors are saying about it or anything, but certainly season three has been on Disney+. Plus. It's Hulu in the US, I believe, and it's been pretty good. It's probably the best it's been, to be honest. That's good. This is the yeah, third series. Yeah. Yeah, so it's had enough time to get into its groove and figure out all the minutiae of the characters and can have a bit more fun and stuff. Yeah, they've ditched the jokes almost entirely at this point. It's now no longer a Family Guy-esque comedy. It's just a Star Trek show. It basically is, yeah. Diet Star Trek is what I like to call it, because that annoys people when I say that. But it is Diet Star Trek as far as I'm concerned. On the movie front, podcast on this coming soon as well. Lots of podcasts coming soon. Thor Love and Thunder. I really enjoyed it. It's weird. 
that it's so divisive. You know, sometimes you watch a film and you're like, I don't understand why people hate this. Yeah. For me, it's that. I'm not sure what people were expecting. And I know that some people have come out and slammed it for being what it is. As in, I went to see an MCU film and got an MCU film and I hate that. So I don't understand what people are actually expecting, really, sometimes. I still not got around to it yet. I'll probably catch it eventually. It will probably be on Disney Plus in like two weeks. Yeah, it might be a Disney Plus one for this one. Because Multiverse of Madness was 47 days after theatrical release. It dropped on Disney Plus. Yeah, so probably early September-ish would be too Probably, long. yeah. Crazy. Disney are just not caring about preserving the theatrical window experience. They're just like, okay, we're legally allowed to do this, dump it. We got our opening weekend, that'll do. Yeah. I also watched, this is an animated thing, straight to video or straight to disc or straight to digital or whatever you want to call it, Green Lantern Beware My Power, animated Green Lantern movie. I like the DC animated movies. They do some pretty interesting stuff with them. They get some really interesting voice talent in as well because they get people that sound great in the role but might not necessarily physically embody the role. Although the difference here is Aldous Hodge, who plays John Stewart as the voice, could easily play him in live action, except he's going to be in Black Adam as Hawkman as well. I suppose they kind of missed a trick casting there. You want to be a supporting character in The Rocks film, or do you want to be Green Lantern in your own film? He can do both. Yeah, I suppose. Hawkman's got a big mask on. As long as he doesn't take it off in the movie, he can still be used again. But it was good. I enjoyed it. And a bit of a plug as well. We'll just move naturally into the plugging. I did two interviews in relation to the film with both of the writers, Ernie Altbacher and... John Semper. John Semper, who I interviewed before, he is the first entry on the Neil Before Pod feed. So go back and listen to that. We talked mostly about Spider-Man because he did the 90s Spider-Man cartoon and it was great to pick his brain about that. Bit of a dream come true some years ago and he remembered me. So there's a decent plug there. Yep. Do you have anything that you want to plug? Your artwork, anything going on there? No, I've started making ice creams at work. If anyone wants to come to my workplace and have an ice cream, (laughs) that'll be my plug for the month. Cool. So if you're in Edinburgh and want to go to, what's the name of the place? The Maytree Cafe. And get an ice cream made by Isaac. I may have made one of them. Post the picture of your ice cream on Twitter and hashtag NeilBeforeBlog or NeilBeforePod and we will shout you out on the next news podcast, I suppose. Yeah, worth a try. Why not? Good work. The only other plugs I've got is I do a bit of work on the We Made This Podcast Network, crop up all over the place. I have appeared on episodes of Podcast 616, which is a Marvel podcast. The next episode of that that I will be heard on is the one about the Incredible Hulk, where I'm the one who liked it and defended it. So have a listen out for that. I completed my run on Strange New Worlds over there on We Are Starfleet, and I'll be returning to the animated one, rarely going when Lower Decks comes back at the end of August. So that is all my plugs for the month. It's the usual stuff. You can just hear me everywhere, basically. Yeah. So shall we move on to some non-Comic-Con trailers. We're going to structure the show a bit differently, so we're going to do a bit of chat about news and trailers that didn't come out of Comic-Con, and then we'll cut to Comic-Con, and we'll talk about Comic-Con, because that happened, and there was a lot of stuff, but we have some other stuff that wasn't Comic-Con, so beware for a slight structural shift. Our first trailer is The Monsters, and what did you think of the trailer for The Monsters? So this was clearly designed as a love letter to the original. I don't know too much about the monsters, but it's not an upgrade. It's just essentially another one. They're just making another era-appropriate monsters episode that's a feature length. It looks like they're having fun making it. It looks a bit odd. Kind of looks like a college humor YouTube trailer. (laughs) But it looks like they had fun making it. And clearly Rob Zombie, it must be one of those passion project sort of things for him, where he's just making a show that he would have loved when he was little, probably. I can't critique something that looks like it's just been made for fun and it is very much made to look how it looks, even if it does look a little bit 
weird. It's hard to tell if it's a joke, and if it is a joke, I don't know what the joke is. So, like you say, it's a love letter thing, but it could just be that it's something for him and not for an audience. It's being released, though, so surely we have to have some connection to it. I don't know much about the monsters either, other than the high-level stuff. It's way before my time, but it looks really cheap, and it definitely looks deliberately cheap, because the colours are all washed out and things like that. So it looks like it was made in the early days of colour programming. And the makeup is dodgy and whatever else. But I don't really know what the joke is. Like I said, I got what we do in the shadows vibes from it. But it feels like a bad copy of that based on this trailer. I think you're right in saying this is just for him. I think he just made this because he was having fun. And then they thought, we'll release it anyway because someone else might like it. But I don't think he's intending to this to be a success. <laughs> I think it's just like, I'm having a nice time. That's what's happening. It's going straight to Netflix, I think. I'm sure I read that. So it wouldn't really get a theatrical release. So yeah, it's probably one of those things that Netflix irresponsibly spent money on. And then that's it. That's where it's going to be. Right, let's move on. Our next trailer is Don't Worry Darling, the Florence Pugh movie directed by Olivia Wilde about a weird town with some weird stuff going on. What did you think of this trailer? It was one of those, it starts off like a sort of madman-ish looking thing before moving very quickly into a sinister mystery. It's quite an interesting hook. Obviously, being a mystery trailer, it's not giving us everything. In terms of aesthetic and style, it's very 50s and glamorous. And that weird time where secrecy and... I'm trying to think of another word. Paranoia? Yeah, there's definitely paranoia involved. Slowly watching people's trust being broken in a sort of society where you don't really question. They're not involved in the business side, but they're starting to suspect that something's going wrong. They can't trust their husbands or whoever it is. You can't really believe them anymore. So it's certainly an interesting looking mystery it looks very glamorous i'm a stuck chris pine i thought he was the homelander guy until he <laughs> popped up i was like oh the homelander guy is doing a different thing oh no it's chris pine but no it certainly looks very intriguing i like the look of this it's got that 1950s aesthetic which is obviously so popular but it's using it to create this kind of artificiality to it there's something just unreal about the town and it's clear that it's some kind of maybe social experiment. There's definitely an experiment quality to it, and Chris Pine seems to run it. So it seems to be geared around just driving Florence Pugh's character mad somehow. At first I thought maybe it was one of those nuclear test towns or an Area 51 sort of thing. Or one of those Russian spy academy town things. It's a weird experimental thing, and I'm definitely interested to find out what the heart of the mystery is on that. Yeah, it's kind of like a feature-length Twilight Zone episode by the looks of it, which is something you always say about everything like this, isn't it? It looks like Black Mirror or the Twilight Zone, one of the two. The difference is if they're wearing 50s suits, it's Twilight Zone, and then non-50s suits is Black Mirror. <laughs> yeah, in the Twilight Zone, they were only dressed like that because that's when it was made. Exactly. But yeah, it was good. Florence Pugh, obviously, is always great in stuff. Chris Pine, always great in stuff. The rest of the cast, great stuff. One thing I did think about it, because you had the ballet scene and whatever, one thing I was thinking is, that could be a Yelena prequel, actually, if you think about it. She's in her Black Widow training. They're breaking her. They're turning her into a Black Widow. That'd be weird if it was a secret Marvel movie. Could you imagine? <laughs> Suddenly the internet that was in love with this film, this original storytelling, whatever. It's a Marvel movie, I have to hate it now. Can you imagine the flip that would happen? I think it'd be funny if everyone went into the cinema and then the Marvel... Dun, 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 the thing he came up and I was like, what's going on? Is this the right movie? And this guy's on playing, it's like, oh, it's a Marvel movie. It's a Yelena prequel movie. You get to see where she got her Russian accent because she wasn't Russian to begin with. Yeah. The trailer is really unnerving. The TikTok sound throughout it, it's quite a common thing they use in trailers to make you feel unsettled, but that really works. They keep using it because it works. I think that was also leading towards, is this a bomb? Is this a nuclear test site? 
sort of thing for me. I think that was where I was sort of going initially. What's out just before my birthday, so there we go. Yeah, I look forward to. I think it's premiering at the Venice Film Festival, perhaps, or it's rumoured to. So it's something that could feasibly be completely spoiled for anybody by the time it comes out, because people fortunate enough we'll get to see it way early yep let's move on we have halloween ends which feels like a promise that won't be delivered on i liked the first of this requel let's call it that let's use the scream terminology the series of halloween films i liked the first one i did not like the second one i thought halloween kills was really dire and this i'm concerned it's just going to be the same i don't think halloween will end i think michael myers will slink off again like he always does but it looks like pretty standard halloween fare so maybe if you like that sort of stuff then this will deliver what you want i don't know but after the last one i'm wondering is there anything here I don't think so. Yeah, there's going to be a similar pattern with another trailer we'll talk about a little later, but I didn't like the 2018 Halloween, the first go at this modern trilogy. I wasn't a fan of that, really. I didn't watch the second one. And like I said, Halloween won't end. It'll just cap off this little trilogy thing, and then we'll do another one in a few years' time. Then they'll do another requel, where this one is a sequel to the first and second one that ignores everything else, so we can tell other stories. Yeah, horror characters never die. It's... It's the same as comics, they're always backs. Or they'll do a sequel to the Rob Zombie Halloween movies. They can't just call it this specific Halloween prequel ends. <laughs> Halloween, Asterix, trilogy starting in 2019, up to 2023 ends. Halloween, brackets, this continuity ends. Yeah, there'll be more of this. And like I said, I didn't hear good things about the second one, so I'm not going to race out and watch this. That's fair. Our last non-Comic-Con trailer that we're going to talk about is called She Said. It's the story about the Me Too movement and how that all started, based on the investigation that outed all this disgusting behaviour that goes on in Hollywood, specifically around Harvey Weinstein. It's not our usual fare as such, but I thought it was a really good trailer, and I think it's going to be a really good film. Obviously gave me spotlight vibes, it's along those lines. And it's a really important story that does deserve to be told, and telling it on the big screen in that way is shining more of a light on it. Not that enough of a light hasn't been shone on it already, but it's definitely going to reach a wider audience. They did, was it Bombshell with Margot Robbie? Because it's John Lithgow, but he wasn't Weinstein. He was just that style of producer, whereas this is... Well, it was based on a real guy. The Margot Robbie character in that film, she's a conglomeration of a bunch of people around that time. But I think most of the other characters slash people in that film are real. Yeah, so this is more on the big Harvey Weinstein, the head villain of the atrocity of Hollywood. It looks like it'll be a tough watch. Looks like it'll be quite a eye-opening, difficult viewing experience. Yeah, it'll be grim. It'd be great to be a bunch of men sitting in the cinema watching that, just being like, oh, we're disgusting. I apologise for our gender. It's a watch-at-home movie. <laughs> Very possibly. But it's only in theatres later this year, so I'll probably see it in theatres. But, you know, it depends what's going on at the time. Okay, for the last trailer, I think you can probably hear that howling in the distance, which means our resident, no longer teen, wolf, is on her way. So if you want to run away and hide from the big bad wolf, you should. I'll go into my most straw-made house and hide there. <laughs> Great reference. I was right, all that howling was our not-so-teen wolf. Cat. hello! Ow! <laughs> that wasn't how it sounded a minute ago. Uh, That's how it sounds close up. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are back again. I'm back on my bull shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so the Teen Wolf trailer straight up when I first watched it totally looked fake to me. <laughs> there had been quite a few fake 
trailers in the last few months since the announcement of the film where just fan-made trailers would pop up and they looked amazing, but it was just recycled footage from the show. And a lot of this looked the same to me. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know. But then I remembered that they haven't used this samurai spirit. That's not really been a part of the show. I also will self-confess I never finished season six because all my favorite characters were gone. So what was the point? (laughs) <laughs> so we've had a few confirmations of characters coming back, which are hilarious to me, especially the one, the big surprise of this trailer is that Allison is alive or she is back in some form. A little bit of backstory is that Crystal Reed, who plays Allison Argent, left the show because she thought she could do better. She was trying to follow in the footsteps of Colton Haynes, who left the show to be on Arrow, and it did work very well for him. Also, gosh, I forget the other actor's name who plays Isaac on Teen Wolf, who left to be on the originals, which was a spinoff from The Vampire Diaries. It did okay until it got cancelled, but it was probably more money than MTV, so fine. So around the same time, Crystal Reed was like, I want to be in movies. So she left, but without really having anything planned. She didn't have a part or a role. She just wanted options because I guess on her series regular contract, she couldn't pursue other auditions and things. And she didn't really get anything. Yeah, I've never heard of her. Yeah, so now she's like, hi, can I come back? Which kind of reminds me of when I lost a job at some point and I went back to my old job and I was like, hey, can I work here again? And my old manager Look was like, yeah, come sure. come crawling back. Basically. I empathize, but also it's a little funny. They wrote the character off in a really spectacular way. She died in a really dramatic, lore-filled moment and she's back somehow. And we gotta explain that. And I'm like, okay, Allison, sure. And And another thing that I didn't know is that Tyler Hecklin is back as Derek. He's one of my favorite characters, so I'm very excited about it. His character left the show in a really mysterious sort of way in terms of just the world building off the show. Obviously, you've never seen this, so I'll I'll describe the werewolf transformation in Teen Wolf is kind of partial. They get some way into wolf characteristics, but they don't turn entirely. Not all morning in a makeup chair sort of transformation. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loads of prosthetics. The thing is, at the beginning of the show, Tyler Hecklin's character's sister, Laura Hale, had been found dead looking like a wolf. So everyone was like, first of all, what the heck? Second of all, who killed her? And the show never really went any way to address the how and the why of Laura's full transformation into a wolf. And at the end of, I want to say series five, it might have been series four. No, I think it was five. Anyway, Derek and everybody else, they were kind of facing off against some other type of creature and he turned into a full-blown wolf. And so the entire fandom was like, wait, what? How? Explain. And then he never came back. So it'll be cool to see if that gets addressed. One thing that I've really, really enjoyed about Teen Wolf is that Jeff Davis and the other writers really went out of their way to create an interesting and unique lore for this show. They're inspired by a lot of mythologies and a lot of histories from various parts of the world, and it all made sense internally within the show, and it was fresh, especially during the time. Let's all remember that Teen Wolf came out in 2011, so peak Twilight and all of that nonsense. And it was a fresh breath of air because it was different. It wasn't the kind of werewolf lore that we had really been used to. And also there are no vampires in this show because Jeff Davis was like, we're not doing Twilight. (laughs) And so I really, really appreciated all of that. I'm 
most excited really for this movie to just kind of fill in some world building gaps. I'm very sad that Dylan O'Brien is still not signed up for this, or at least he's not anywhere to be seen on the slate. And honestly, what do you do without Styles? He genuinely made this show as successful as it was. And also, what's he doing? Isn't he out of work? <laughs> Dylan, come on. Yeah, I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, He's been making slightly deranged YouTube videos where he's like, I'm an out-of-work actor and I'm losing my mind. Then come back, because clearly the Maze Runner thing really did a number on you. And uh, also, all of us love you and we'd love to see Styles back in action. And also, we all want some gay up in this house. <laughs> <laughs> and since uh, Derek is back, Styles should also be back. But we'll see. Perhaps they were thinking that they might outshine Technically, the protagonist of this show is Tyler Posey. <laughs> He's just been off doing OnlyFans and stuff, so clearly he had the time. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, we'll see. The trailer looks okay. It looks comparable to the show, perhaps slightly elevated, but the show always had a pretty good look in terms of CG and stuff. They always found good ways to cut corners and not need a lot. They had a great prosthetics team who did a lot of the lifting. So we'll see how this turns out. Still on this train, because of course I am. <laughs> Are you going to finish the show before this comes out or just jump straight into this? Oh, I don't know. The thing is, a lot of the main characters left and series six contends with a lot of new kids that, quite frankly, nobody gives a toss about. <laughs> Maybe. I, I think the seasons are short. There's about 13 episodes, so I guess I can spare that time. At least it's not like network TV where it's like 22 episodes, so fine, I guess. Possibly. Just to make sure I haven't missed anything important. I'm sure you haven't, but sometimes you feel like you might. Yeah, mostly I'm here for the Derek stuff, and there was one character who I don't think is coming back for this, who insinuated at the end of I want to say Series 5 again, when all of these creatures were popping off and they were meant to be keeping them secret, and he was a civilian. He was not one of the supernatural people. He turned to one of them and he said, oh, well, it's Beacon Hills. Of course there's werewolves. In the spirit of the Lost Boys. Ah, the thing about Santa Clara, all of those damn vampires. So what's going on with that? Does everybody know? Who knows? What's going on? That's what I'm mostly here for. Okay, maybe you can dust off your reviewing credentials to do a one-off review for this when it appears? Yeah, yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> no, I put you on the spot and recorded you saying it. Oh, no, I've committed now. That's oh, shucks. <laughs> In which case you'd be like, yeah, I said that at the time. All right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have another trailer. This one I did watch. I didn't bother watching the Teen Wolf one because it would have meant absolutely nothing to me. So Fair I didn't enough. even watch the trailer. But this trailer I did watch, House of the Dragon. It's the Game of Thrones prequel. I wasn't that interested in Game of Thrones, certainly not interested enough to even watch it. And then everything I heard about it just kept telling me, this isn't for me. And then by the time you get to the end of the last season and everybody hates it, yeah. Honestly, I don't want to jump into this. Mm. This feels like a bit more of the same for me. Visually amazing. The production value is off the charts. There's lots of dragons in it and they look really good and lots of mentions of sitting on thrones and people not belonging on thrones and all that sort of stuff. You've got Matt Smith with long witchery white hair. <laughs> and yeah, I'm sure it's great for people that like that stuff. And it does look great, but I'm probably not going to watch it. But you're informed on this franchise. I am, and I will be watching this because this is my shirt. 
as Eleanor would say in The Good Place. This trailer looked a lot better to me than the previous one. I wasn't actually aware of which time period they were going to cover. I am that nerd who owns multiple Game of Thrones backstory books, not just the novels. Who do you think I am? <laughs> so I was like, wait, the characters they mentioned, I was under the impression they were going to cover the very first Targaryens who came over to Westeros from Valyria. This is going to mean nothing to you, but basically yep. this dragonlord family from a very different part of the world arrives to what is essentially North America. They arrive to basically what is, let's say, medieval England, and they take over the entire country because dragons. Who can resist this? But it turns out they're actually covering a different part of the lineage, which is kind of middling. So it's in between the conquest and the time that Game of Thrones takes place. It's about 200 years before. And it's about another kind of succession war. But this time it's between one family. So everyone's kind of entitled to the throne for different reasons. The king has a daughter and he has said she's going to be my heir no questions asked he also has a brother who's like well really it should be me but okay and then somewhere down the line the king also has a son so then that kind of complicates matters because the rest of the family's like well now you have an heir who's male and the king's like no 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 it's still going to be my daughter it's going to be fine but is it <laughs> cue an entire hbo show so to give you an idea no it's not going to be fine everything's about to go down it's a very interesting time period in the history of Westeros because the dragons are still very much part of the landscape and it's not like oh well we had dragons but the last one died like a hundred years ago and did we really ever have dragons who remembers that anymore no 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 they're still alive and they're still around and they are terrifying and the power that comes with that and with the ability to wield them is different to a lot of the Game of Thronesy stuff which is very grounded in real world politics and the war of the roses and a very specific point in human history. So this is a little bit more pizzazzy. It has magic. And yeah, it actually got me to dust off my The World of Game of Thrones book and my Fire and Blood book about the Targaryens, which actually covers this part of the history. And it's kind of what they used to go off and write the scripts and stuff. So I'm here for this. It's nerdy. And hopefully because there is source material, we're not going to do whatever the heck the last two seasons of Game of Thrones were. And I don't think that the same showrunners are involved. That bodes well for me. I think George Martin is involved with the show, which also bodes well. Although at the same time, he can go off a cliff at this point for Hugo drama reasons, which I will send you a link to include in the show notes because, oh my god. I remember you bringing this up on a prior appearance. Yeah, we're all just done with George. <laughs> but yeah, anything except write a book. <laughs> oh no, he writes books, just not that one. <laughs> he does definitely write books. Yeah, so I'm keeping an open mind. I will be watching this by myself because my partner is not a Game of Thrones person. So it's just going to be me and my thoughts. So at some point, I'll let you know how it's going. Sure. Did you hear about during the Comic-Con panel... Someone said, it's Morbin time to Matt Smith, and he just looked really unimpressed. <laughs> Something that future Isaac will point out is that you had Karen Gillan, Jenna Coleman, and Matt Smith at Comic-Con, but none of them were there for Doctor Who. 
Oh, yeah, of course. I saw Jenna Coleman. Oh, what trailer was she on? Sandman. Sandman, yeah. And I was really excited because she was my favorite companion. I thought the brief intersection between her and Matt Smith was kind of my favorite Doctor Who era, which is probably controversial. It's funny how his two companions have done way better than he has after they've left the show. I mean, The Crown is a pretty big achievement. He was on that. Yeah, I mean, more in terms of... I suppose Jenna Coleman hasn't been hugely successful in films. Exactly, yeah. She's been on and off in things. Yeah, Karen Gillan, for sure. Marvel, Jumanji, and Matt Smith, Morbius, and Terminator. (laughs) Yeah, in terms of blockbusters, maybe, yeah. But, But he's been doing okay, and he did other films. He did Christopher and His Friends, which was an indie adaptation of a book that's basically the memoir of Christopher Isherwood, who's a writer, and that was a great film. A very much a departure for him in terms of it was not a genre thing. It was a period piece set in the 20s. And the Edgar Wright one, I forget what it was called now, he was in that. Much as I didn't like it, I think he was pretty good Oh in yeah, that. he was in Last Night in Soho. That's the one. Which I really enjoyed. I thought that film was great. He played like a bit of a, a tottering villain. Again, a departure from his Doctor Who persona, for sure, but not necessarily that demanding a role. No. Cool. So you're excited for House of the Dragon, and mm-hmm. I am not, but... Yeah. I'll carry on not watching this franchise, and you'll carry on watching this franchise, which is all good. Mm-hmm. We all need to watch things. A couple of news items since you're here. I'm going to pick your brain about some stuff that you said you liked in the past. That's what you get for telling me that you enjoy things oh, I remember no. and end up making <laughs> me talk about them. Disney are doing live action remakes of absolutely everything. And including in this absolutely everything is going to be Lilo and Stitch. Following the critical success of his movie Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, try saying that ten times fast, <laughs> Dean Fleischer Camp has found his next project as he's been tapped to direct the live-action adaptation of the classic animated pick Lilo and Stitch for Disney. Dan Lin and Jonathan Eirich of Rideback are producing. Unknown at this time whether this film will be theatrical or on Disney+. Plus. The 2002 animated pick told of the friendship formed between a lonely human girl named Lilo and an alien named Stitch, who is engineered to be a force of destruction. And an Elvis fan, which is all I know about it. Yes. Lilo and Stitch is one of my favorite Disney movies. I have so much love for it. I got to go to Hawaii last year to meet my parents' family, and I was just Lilo and Stitching all over the place. (laughs) Your partner's family, you mean, not your parents' family. (laughs) Oh, yeah, sorry. My partner's family, yes. Whoopsie. I was like, what? My parents' family? No, no, no. no. My partner's family. family? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. My partner's grandparents' is what I guess I had in my head, and then I said my parents' family. (laughs) So when I went to Hawaii to meet my partner's grandparents, I was just Lilo and Stitching all over the place. I was like, oh, yes, I know this, and I know this. It's a film that really captures Hawaiian life. Now that I've been there, I can say this. (laughs) It really, really has a lot of love for the specific culture of the place and for the people who live there and it's just made with a lot of care. It's also tremendously funny. It's hilarious and it was exactly the sort of thing that younger me was all about. I can quote the entire film front to back. (laughs) We went to this place on Maui. They have a little store. This is such a little trivia thing but I was so excited about it. They have a little store called the Hasegawa General Store and in Lilo and Stitch there's an old lady named Mrs. Hasegawa and she has a general store and Lilo's older sister Nani is looking for a job and she goes there and she's like hi Mrs. Hasegawa I'm here to answer the ad and Mrs. Hasegawa's deaf as a brick so she's like oh sorry I can't talk right now I'm waiting for someone to answer my ad and I just think it's the funniest thing (laughs) it's just so 
good. She is a big Elvis fan. Lilo, there's a lot of Elvis Presley music in this. I wonder if that's going to be continued. I don't know if we need this movie. The animated feature is fantastic and it stands on its own and I rewatched it recently and I can tell you it hasn't aged badly at all. Like It's a great film. So I'm a little like, eh, I don't know about all this. What's the general criticism when it comes to the Disney live action remakes? All the live actions, yeah. I think the one I've enjoyed was Cinderella because it was definitely a fresh take on the story. There were some bits of it that modernized the fairy tale. We didn't just rely on on the fairy godmother of it all. Sure, there's a fairy godmother and all of that, but ultimately the really painful trauma in Cinderella is between her and the stepmom. And we actually get a really great scene where Cinderella confronts the stepmother played by Kate Blanchett about why she's so mean and why she's been such an adversary. And we just don't get that in fairy tale stories. And that I really enjoyed. And also Cinderella has a prior relationship with the prince before the ball and so all of that kind of makes more sense so in that sense i was like yeah okay i haven't seen some of the other remakes i hated beauty and the beast i think i've seen most of them i haven't seen dumbo i didn't see aladdin dumbo isn't really a remake but there's nothing there in the original really to adapt so (laughs) you have to start from scratch yeah i did see the lion king and it was terrible. It was the worst. I hate it. So generally speaking, the track record's not fantastic. And especially because a lot of the adaptations, the reasoning, I think, on the surface level that was given was that, oh, it was for copyright reasons, kind of. You have to make a Snow White movie or a whatever movie to keep the rights alive, to not let it lapse into public domain. Lilo and Stitch is not that old. <laughs> There's no risk of it falling to the wrong hands or whatever. It was just a really good film. So I I don't know. At the same time, I've only seen the trailer for Marcel the Shell with shoes on and it's the cutest thing. It's so cute. It's so cute. And this guy's been at this stop motion thing for some time and it's interesting. I did notice that there was previously somebody else attached to direct this about November of last year and that fell apart. So let's see if this goes ahead. At the very least, they have a Hawaiian screenwriter attached to actually write this this time. So that's good, because the previous screenwriters who were attached to this were not related to Hawaii at all. And what's the point? If anything, what makes this movie amazing is the love for the place. So... I'm very cautious about this, as with all the live-action adaptations, I veer towards, who needs this? We don't need this. I can rewatch Lilo and Stitch anytime I want, and in fact, I do. So, yeah, I don't know. When it comes to Disney plumbing their old properties, I tend to be more interested in the ones that are, let's pick an element and expand on it. So Maleficent, for example. Yes. I think Maleficent's really good, and it's very different to the character as was before, because they turn her into more of an anti-hero, rather than a straight-up villain who summons the powers of hell which is a line in the film which is quite something but stuff like that i didn't like cruella that much appreciated the idea but it's one of those problems of we're making her the protagonist so we don't want to make her full villain which limits it so what is this am i supposed Mm -hmm. to sympathize with her am i supposed to hate her there's arguments can be made for both but you don't come strongly on either side so yeah you've wasted an opportunity here but i thought maleficent was very clear on what it set out to do Mm mm-hmm 
And I really liked it for that. Oh, yeah. I loved Maleficent. Maleficent was fantastic. And even the second one was pretty good, actually. Yeah, it's pretty decent. More forgettable, but yeah, it's certainly okay. Mm, a little bit, but it did expand on the world building for this very different take on Sleeping Beauty. So I'm very on board for things like that. As you say, taking an element and then expanding it and just bringing something fresh to it. It's the bare minimum of reasons. Why <laughs> mount a production of something? Why make a new film if you don't have something new to say? I'm looking at you, John Favreau and The Lion King and all of that. <laughs> Literally trying to remake something shot for shot and add a new song for the hell of it and ruin every joke punchline because why not? And call it live action when it is not live action. Exactly. It's like, oh, live action. It's just that the animals look photorealistic. My God. Different kind of animated. It's not yeah, live action. exactly. Gosh. I don't care for anything that's like this. So... Let's see. If they do something else with it that's cool and fun, I'll be here for it. I have to admit, I never really enjoyed the various spin-offs that spun out of Lulu and Stitch. There was a TV show. Oh, there usually is. Some various short bits and bobs where there's a female little alien thing and kind of sequely type things that kind of led nowhere and that nobody really watched. We'll admit to you, I did not watch any of that because everything was about the original film for me. Well, most people don't watch this straight to video. Well, somebody does. Because they get made, somebody must have watched this. I was never a Disney Channel kind of person, and obviously I have Disney Plus now, so I suppose I could watch it, but I kind of don't care. The Aladdin sequels are actually supposed to be okay. Yeah, they're all right. The first one is about Aladdin and his dad. Return of Jafar is the first one, and then... Oh, there's... okay, so then the second one, the one with the 40 thieves, I think, or something like that. That was very interesting, because it kind of taps into a lot of Aladdin's abandonment issues, because he's by himself having to steal food, and then suddenly his dad's around, and it's like, oh, now that I'm a prince or a king or something, now you're back? That's great. <laughs> a very interesting sequel. A lot of those straight-to-tape sequels of the time, gosh, Pocahontas, The Little Mermaid, yeah, there were a lot of those. The Lion King one was great, but everything else was middling. And then there's another one that's set in the middle of the first film with Timon and Pumbaa as well. Which was actually not terrible, Timon and Pumbaa. But yeah, Lion King 2, because it takes from the musical, the Broadway musical, it's both the first and second film, basically. So... Some of the songs in the second one, those come from the Broadway musical. And so it just felt like a more natural continuation rather than we're just making this up to make some money. Looking at you, Pocahontas 2, where she goes off to the new world and she finds John Smith and John Smith is like, eh, whatever. And she ends up with somebody else. Wait, what? <laughs> the grand <laughs> romance of my time and he doesn't care? Wait, I protest. I shudder to think what the live action remake of Pocahontas will be like. I mean, there was one. There was a Terrence Malick film. It wasn't a Disney one, granted. I mean, the Disney one. Yeah, there was that Terrence Malick film, which I thought was amazing. And actually, that's kind of the definitive version of that story for me anyway. I would like to think that they're not going to go there. They will. Or if they do, that it's going to be done with care. We'll see if and when we cross that bridge, Disney is prone to these things. <laughs> yes. So I had one last piece of news that I wanted to pick your brain about. It was something that we talked about last month, I think. Maybe the month before, can't remember. It has come up before. Related-ish to the Teen Wolf news, there's going to be a show created by the same people called Wolfpack, which is routinely across the internet being misreported as a spin-off. 
Yeah. It's not. It is a different thing that just happens to be a similar thing. Yeah, it's a very easy mistake to make because Jeff Davis is at the helm, so everybody's like, oh yeah, he's the Teen Wolf guy. But if your job is to report news for a major website, get it you right. Check. Yeah, yeah, yeah get <laughs> it right. Yeah, don't don't publish a headline being like Teen Wolf spinoff casts Sarah Michelle Geller because it's not a Teen Wolf. <laughs> not spin-off. correct. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> factually incorrect in your headline. I'm not going to name the publications that did it. There was a few of them though, that I noticed. Mm. Just delete them from your favourites if they're in your favourites because they don't do their job properly. But listen to this because we do kind of do our job properly <laughs> sometimes. But yes, Sarah Michelle Geller has joined the cast of the Wolfpack series and she's going to be producing it as well because I guess she has that kind of clout now where I'm not coming on this unless I get a producer credit. So that gives me more money probably. It also stars... Armani Jackson, Bella Shepard, Chloe Rose Robertson, and Tyler Lawrence Gray. The series is based on the book series of the same name by the Canadian horror author Ido Van Belcom. The show focuses on two teenagers who are caught in a wildfire and are wounded by a supernatural creature, probably a wolf, I would imagine. In the aftermath, they discover their werewolves and develop an intense bond together. The two team up and encounter two other teenagers, the adoptive children of a park ranger who went through a similar strange wildfire 16 years ago. Ago. Geller stars as arson investigator Kristen Ramsey, a highly regarded expert in her field and no stranger to personal loss. Brought in by authorities to catch the teenage arsonist who started a massive wildfire, which may have also led to the reawakening of a supernatural predator terrorising Los Angeles. And yes, it's going to be done by Jeff Davis as part of a multi-year deal with MTV Entertainment Studios. What do you think of this? Is his name enough to get you to have a look at this? A little bit. I know that Jeff has a lot of love for these kind of stories. He wouldn't pick it if it weren't. I'm a little disappointed that that's, I don't know, the very easy kind of correlation is also a bit, well, you had your own world. That was really cool. So I'm not quite sure why, but okay, I guess. I don't think that these books are in fact in print. At least they're not on the UK side of Amazon. And there's only 3.63 stars on Goodreads, and that's by 98 ratings alone. So I don't know that it's had that much of a readership, but maybe it's good? Shrug? Question mark? It came out in 2004, and in fact, it's probably more of a novella than a novel, because it's only like 184 pages. But the author has written a lot of short stories. He's been around. I am cautiously, okay, I will watch this because Jeff Davis. I like Sarah Michelle Gellar fine. I shamefully, but perhaps now that is not so shameful. I've never watched Buffy. Now with all of the weed and nonsense, I'm less and less inclined to take the time and actually do it. It's just one of those things. I have a old colleague friend who was a very big Buffy fan, and she told me that Geller has been just thriving outside of screen things. She started a company where they sell baking things, I think. Okay. <laughs> kind of like healthy snacks and cookies and stuff and that's great and I'm glad that she's been doing well and I'm sure it's good news for a lot of her fans who were hoping to see her on screen again and it's back in the supernatural kind of world so the element that she's been known for we'll see I don't want to knock it I guess but I'm also a little bit disappointed that it's not continuing the series that I'm a fan of which is Teen Wolf which is not based on anything really it's very tangentially extremely loosely connected to the Michael J. Fox movie. And that's it. There's no books. There's no extended anything behind it. And that was a draw for me because there wasn't anything else that I was missing. You know, I could just watch the show and then that was 
it. And at the same time, I hope that it's a good adaptation because I know that a lot of stories kind of get the shaft once TV and film come knocking and bits of them are not filmable or extremely cinematic and adapting them well might be difficult or might be a challenge. So I hope that because Jeff Davis is a fan of this stuff, that it'll be done well and that it'll be fun. I will be watching this because of course I am. (laughs) I'm a huge Buffy fan, have been since it existed. And Mm. I've always been good at separating the art from the artist when it comes to the things that they make. So if someone's a well-known, terrible person, then it won't stop me watching a film that they made or whatever, because it's not entirely their thing anyway. I know that Joss Whedon ran Buffy, but also a lot of other people worked on it, a lot of really good writers and the actors and so forth. Plus, I just love the show, so it's not going to put me off. I'm not going to stop watching The Avengers because Joss Whedon made it, that kind of thing. That's just the line that I draw between the content that I watch and the people that make it. Of course, if it is a deal breaker, then fair play. It's a deal breaker. It's a case by case, I think, for me. Sometimes it's easier to do. Other times, when the problematic aspects of the person in question seep into the work itself, it makes it very difficult for me to enjoy said thing because I am now aware of these issues. And I do think that for Buffy in particular, the treatment of women and the girl bossification that it kickstarted in media, it kind of carries with it Joss Whedon's very problematic stances on women. And especially knowing how he treated the actresses while filming the show, I'm just not inclined to give the the time to this in particular. The the interesting thing about it, though, is when all this stuff came out, it's now the show that's created on this massive contradiction Mm -hmm. because of the trail it blazed for female leads in genre stuff at the time. It was practically unheard of at the time. Not completely, but certainly that was one of the big mass market appeal ones. So yeah, it's this weird contradiction that it exists under. But at some point, I'll go and rewatch Buffy again. I've not done it in a number of years. And it means I can rewatch The Superior Angel when that starts in the runtime of it as well. Angel's Mm. a better show, as far as I'm concerned. I've heard this, yeah. And Joss Whedon didn't have as much involvement in that because he was still working on Buffy at the time. So he got it off the ground and gave it to David Greenwald, who then ran the show. Mm -hmm. And he would pop back now and again to write an episode or whatever or see how it was going or compare notes for continuity purposes. But other than that, it was not his show. But in terms of this, I do wonder if the novella, as you've called it, I didn't know this, but I wonder if they maybe just use that as a starting point and then you can build out from that. I guess, yeah. A bit like, I suppose, with the Teen Wolf movie, we'll follow this to a point and then we can just create a world outside of it that can do whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It does say Wolfpack number one. So there are three more. There's four books in total as part of this. That's almost four seasons then. Perhaps. And perhaps it's good that it's just a short book rather than something lengthy because it's less to contend with when it comes to accuracy. You get these sprawling works like, say, for example, Game of Thrones, where the accuracy kind of comes at the detriment of the length of something. It's like, oh, well, we can be super accurate, but then that means that we have to cut this other thing. So maybe they won't have to snip and cut too much. That'll be good. Yeah, we'll see. It will be getting made. And Sarah Michelle Gellar's involvement surprised me, actually, because you don't really hear about her acting too much. I think the last thing she was in that I was aware of was Ringer. That was a TV show that ran for a little while. She also did a voice in a season of Star Wars Rebels. She was one of the Inquisitors. Mm, okay. Which her husband was also in. He's in that show as well. Or he was. 
the show isn't running anymore. But Freddie Prince Jr. was Kanan, one of the leads. Oh, okay. That was a nice little connection. And of course, she worked with him in Scooby-Doo. And Scooby-Doo, things. yeah. I don't know if they're still married. I assume so. Anyway, anything final on any of the things? Or do you want to just howl at the moon and leave and let Isaac come cowering out of his hidey hole? Uh, yes, because I will eat him alive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all for me. And as always, thank you for having me. As always, it's a pleasure. Ow. Okay, it's safe to come out now. The big bad wolf is gone. Lovely. House is mostly intact. Mostly intact. But it was at fringe rent, so I'm bankrupt now. <laughs> Straw house during the fringe, that's like a thousand pounds a week. If the listeners don't know what the fringe festival is, it's a thing that hits Edinburgh every year. And if you have a spare room, you could be become a millionaire. Not quite, but you could be very well off by the end of it. And I do have a spare room, but I just don't want people poking around my house. Some circus performer just living here for a month. Don't want that. Plus the cat would have to get used to them. It's just yeah, it's this whole thing. The whole thing. Right, let's move on to some non-Comic-Con news. The first one is one of our favourite people, or certainly one of my favourite people, Andrew Garfield, is going to be playing Richard Branson in Hot Air limited series, David Leach to direct for Universal International Studios. Written by John Croker, who wrote Paddington 2, the six-part Hot Air is based on the book Dirty Tricks by award-winning investigative journalist Martin Gregory. tells the story of billionaire Branson and the fascinating, outrageous vision of Virgin Airways. And the rest of the article just talks about what that story is but basically we're getting Andrew Garfield playing Richard Branson which even looking at the side by side on this article I'm not seeing the resemblance yeah it's an odd choice <laughs> yeah when he played Jonathan Larson I was like I can see it I mean he doesn't look necessarily like him but you can get his hair to look like him but yeah Andrew Garfield I'm in I'll definitely watch this this was on the news just because Andrew Garfield that's it that's why I put it on yeah will you give this a watch do you think It'll be one of those, if it's on Netflix, if it's on and there's nothing else on, then I'll skim through. But I don't know if I'll rush out to see it because it's just a movie about a millionaire. Yeah, I want to hear the story about how this billionaire became a billionaire because my life's not miserable enough. The classic riches to more riches story. That... <laughs> the classic, someone starts an airline and makes even more money. Well done. Let us move on. Jendi Tartakovsky teases upcoming R-rate animated movie, Fixed. He's the guy who directed the Hotel Transylvania franchise, something I have not seen. But Fixed is a rated R 2D animated movie about a dog who finds out he's going to get neutered in the morning and what does he do with his next 24 hours. Apparently he's been trying to get it made for 12 years and now it's finally happening. It's going to be produced under Sony Pictures Animation, who did Sausage Party, for example. But they also did Into the Spider-Verse, so they do some good things. I think it will be more like the first of them. <laughs> it sounds like an interesting concept. Yeah, I'm not super into it. Fair enough. Maybe the Hotel Transylvania movies are great, but it sounds like we did those for the, not the money, but just to get into the business and just like the minions, you can just sort of make them, roll them out sort of movies. And now he's making his weird dog movie. Yeah. Is it supposed to make audiences feel upset that they get their pets neutered, which is a good thing for them? I think it's just some weird teenager movie. Well, we'll soon see. It's R-rated, so for adults or older teens, something worth mentioning. I think it seems like an interesting concept. We'll see how it pans out and what it looks like when a trailer comes out. And who they'll get to voice the dog, that's crucial. Who do you think will voice the dog? Probably Seth Rogen or someone. (laughs) Sounds like a Seth Rogen movie. Well, if it's Sausage Party that was previously made by this studio, it could well be. He used to get all his money back after his ape got stolen. So now he's in a weird dog movie. That's Seth Green. Oh. It's one of the Seths. It could be Seth Green. Seth Green could voice the dog. Maybe you can both voice it. Maybe. Seth Green voices the main dog and Seth Rogen voices another dog that has already been neutered. 
the dogs seem to be neutered ball. <laughs> yeah, anything's to play for. Let's move on to the Sony Spider-Man, not Spider-Man universe. This Madam Web film that is bafflingly getting made. Another bit of casting is Adam Scott. And for those that don't know, despite the fact we've talked about it probably in every news podcast for the past three or four months, the movie stars Dakota Johnson as Madam Web, a clairvoyant whose psychic abilities allow her to see within the spider world herself. The movie will be an origin story for the character who served as an ally to Spider-Man in the Marvel comics. Spider-Man will probably not appear. The rest of the cast includes Sidney Sweeney, who was in Euphoria, Emma Roberts, Celeste O'Connor, Isabella Merced, Tahar Rahim, and Mike Epps, SJ Clarkson Directs. Adam Scott is usually good and stuff and I'll be interested to see what they're planning to do with this and to remind everybody what Aaron said last month he mentioned that he would rather this was an old lady like the cartoon version well that's anyone I know I don't know much about Madam Web I'm assuming she'll be more of a sort of a silk character if anyone's familiar with silk just essentially Lady Spider-Man but they'll probably mix a few of their properties together and figure something my guess has always been that Dakota Johnson will be playing, I think it's the Jessica Drew version of the character, who ends up getting the psychic abilities passed down, and she's a Spider-Woman in the comics. So they can just do a Spider-Woman story, but she's also a psychic, maybe. And there will probably be an older Madam Web cast as a mentor figure, I'm guessing. Like a Shazam. Yeah. And then she'll fight someone who has exactly the same power set she does at the end, because that's how these things always go. Probably Adam Scott. Possibly Adam Scott. Yeah, she'll beat him up. He'll just see Matt Smith in a row. <laughs> Already discussed this with Kat, but did you hear that at Comic-Con, someone said, it's Morbin time to Matt Smith on stage, and he got really annoyed. Yeah, I think he's been tricked into these movies. <laughs> I don't even read the story where Karen Gillan told him it was a really good deal, because she was in Guardians, and it's actually like, yeah, get into this. This is a really good career deal for you. <laughs> and everyone's just been bothering him about it. I think he doesn't want to talk about Morbius. <laughs> Which is fine, because no one wants to talk about Morbius. It's a film that has the notable accolade of failing twice in theatres. Yeah, interesting for Doctor Who nerds like me. Matt Smith, Karen Gillan and Jenna Coleman were all at Comic-Con, not for Doctor Who. (laughs) (laughs) But they just all happen to be in different panels, which I find fun. I wonder if they crossed paths. They probably went for a Starbucks or something while they were there. Yeah, went for dinner or something. Who knows? Teased him on their successful franchises. (laughs) The two ladies are like, hey, Matt, remember when you were the lead in a successful franchise? Now we are the big cheese. The other bit of Madam Web news is the prep that they've been doing on set places it in the early 2000s as the setting. So it'll be pre-smartphones, potentially. That'll be interesting. That's why she needs to be psychic, because she can't look anything up on the internet. Maybe that's her ability. She's the one friend who doesn't have dial-up and can get internet really quick. Someone thinks she's a man. <laughs> Boston's financial district has been turned into a slightly retro version of New York City's Chinatown, despite the evidence it's unclear if the entire film would take place during the 2000s, or if they were simply filming flashback sequences. Will it make a difference? Who knows? Mm, probably not but we'll find out next is we've got some casting for Scream 6 particularly Samara Weaving and Tony Revolori Samara Weaving is not a stranger to being in horror films because she was in the excellent Ready or Not really fun horror movie if you've seen it and if you haven't then watch it no that's the one you keep telling me to watch and I'll be like I'll watch it and one day I will and Tony Revolori most recently you've probably seen him in Spider-Man No Way Home as Flash Thompson but he's been in a butt ton of stuff I'm trying to think of some of them but I can't think of any Grand Budapest Hotel, maybe? You think he was in that? So there in Scream 6, the cast includes Melissa Barrera, Jasmine Savoy-Brown, Mason Gooding, and Jenna Ortega. Jenna Ortega, who will be in the Wednesday Addams series that Netflix is making. And returning cast include Hayden Panettiere, 
Courtney Cox. So Scream 6, don't really know what it's about yet. I like the fifth one. I don't know if you've seen that yet. I've only seen Scream 1. Right. It's not a franchise I know much about. Fair enough. They are very much tongue-in-cheek slasher movies. They reference and play with the tropes of slasher movies in often inventive ways. Mm-hmm. You should give maybe all of them, actually, just a watch. They're good fun. And ready or not, watch that too. Keep it on the list. Yeah, add it to the ever-growing list. The next thing is, bizarrely, this thing is getting made and it's picking up some really interesting talent. Kurt Russell and his son Wyatt Russell are going to be on the Apple TV Plus Monsterverse series set in the same universe as the really boring Godzilla movies. The roles weren't divulged, but the pair will star alongside Anna Sawai, Ren Watabe, Kiersey Clemens, Joe Tippett, and Elisa Lasowski. And the synopsis says, Following the battle between Godzilla and the Titans that leveled San Francisco and the new reality that monsters are real, the Untitled series will explore one family's journey to discover its buried secrets and a legacy linking them to the secret organisation. One Division's Matthew Shakeman will direct the first two episodes, and so on. I can't imagine this will be anything more than interchangeable characters standing around in grey rooms full of screens talking talking about monsters because that's what those films largely are guess so yeah what's it like on the ground in this world but that's what they all are (laughs) godzilla and something's fighting over there we're not going to look at it though because that would be interesting this would be a more interesting idea if the other monster movies were more focused on the monsters and not just on random teams of scientists or military men yeah just cutting about explaining things to you unless it's people just getting mildly irritated like they're gonna get to work and his subway's cancelled why because godzilla threw the train at Gigan. (laughs) <laughs> not again not again it's like I might just work from home <laughs> it could be a pandemic type allegory couldn't it the monsters are out so just maybe don't come in today stay in yeah don't worry about it Godzilla's in the area so if you don't want to die of radiation poisoning maybe just hunker in your lead bunker in the basement but Kurt Russell being in it is interesting it suggests that there might be something to it because he doesn't seem to do stuff that's just crap very often I don't know, I can't think of cinnamon really. You'll have seen him in Guardians for the Galaxy Volume 2, he was in that. Yeah, I mean more like in a, in a recent, or in like TV sense. Well that's what I mean, he picks his roles quite carefully, and he hasn't been on TV in ages. You will obviously have seen him in Fast and Furious. Oh yeah, he's Mr. Nobody. He is Mr. Nobody. Fast and Furious. When if you'll do those. <laughs> well, I don't like those movies, but many people do, so people would say that's a good decision for his career, but I guess he does them because he thinks it's just a fun role to play. I'm sure 8 out of 10 people in Fast and Furious movies just want to like, drive fancy cars. And then they get on set and find out a stunt person does that and they're like, ah. Yeah, the man does it and they only drive it for like 10 foot. What you're going to do is you're going to sit in the car and then you're going to get out and the stunt man's going to get in. Ah. There was a picture on Twitter today of Brie Larson on the set of Fast 10 just resting a cup of tea on top of a big gun. <laughs> you just mess around for a bit and watch stuff explode and you don't have to try very hard and you get paid couple of millions so it's fine and then you just hope that vin diesel doesn't end up hating you for no reason as long as you don't try and do more punches than him and you just sort of get along well <laughs> just don't out act vin diesel and you'll be fine it's actually a tall order it's a tough nut to crack that one when vin diesel's not on the scene someone needs to be asking where's vin diesel <laughs> so those two are in it the russell family i'm guessing they'll be playing father and son it'd be really funny if they swapped around <laughs> white russell's the old dad it's like listen son kurt russell's got his sunglasses and his skateboard <laughs> It's like, I don't care about Godzilla. I'm going to go and hang out with my friends or whatever. <laughs> or Wyatt Russell's Kurt Russell in the horrible flashback sequences. That's also possible. It's like, remember when you worked in an office in San Francisco and it just cuts to a Wyatt Russell that stands in the phone? <laughs> <laughs> We're just a normal boring family. Yes, we'll see. The next thing is Peter Dinklage has been cast in the 
Hunger Games prequel, Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. We've talked about this previously on the news podcasts. Peter Dinklage will play Casca Highbottom. I do love the Hunger Games names. I don't like the franchise that much, but the names are something else. He was starring the film opposite Tom Blythe, who will play the young Coriolanus Snow, and Rachel Zegler, who will be playing Lucy Gray Baird, which is a pretty normal name, and so is Snow, I suppose. Not his first name, though. Francis Lawrence, who directed Catching Fire and Mockingjay Parts 1 and 2, will direct this adaptation. Highbottom is one of the most powerful people in Snow's life as the austere and vindictive face of the games. He sets the rules and will determine every aspect of Coriolanus's fate. I'm thrilled that Peter will be bringing him to life. So it sounds like a bit of a piece of work. I know nothing about these movies. So this is a adaption of one of the books. Yes. So the author wrote a bunch of prequel books, or certainly at least one prequel book, and this was one of them. So they're making that into a film. And it's basically The Hunger Games again, because The Hunger Games are going to be in it. It's just going to be an earlier one. Yeah, it's just different contest. Yeah, so they're just going to do that again. But they're going to focus on Snow, who was the president in the original films. And he's a really bad dude. So I wonder if they'll fully commit to the fact that this is a story of the birth of a villain. Because I feel like when they decide that they're going to make a film about this is the birth of a villain, they never really commit to it. They always find some way to just make them... Yeah, they're kind of good. See Maleficent and Cruella and Venom. It could be a Joker-style society drove him. Yeah, it's impossible to be good in that world because it's just horrible. Yeah. But we'll see. I don't know. I'm mildly interested in it. I don't really like the films that much. I liked the first two books, though, when I read them. So there's hope, I suppose. Yeah. That is it for our non-Comic-Con news. So what you can do, first of all, because we'll start with the Star Trek panel, you can go and get a sandwich or something and I will beam Chris in without telling him like I usually do, which is fun for me. I just decided to just beam him in. Thankfully, it's never been in an unflattering situation, although there was the time he did bring a horse with him. That's how radio works. That is how it works. So you can amuse yourself for a few minutes and I will beam Chris in. Okay, bye. Chris, it's that time of the month again where it's time for that impromptu beam in slash beam out from your perspective because there is Star Trek afoot. Here was me enjoying my lovely summer walk by the beach and I'm inappropriately beamed out once again. Okay, so Star Trek. We were at Comic-Con. Well, we weren't, but we were watching the news appear online from Comic-Con, which is almost like being there, I'm told, by people that have also never been to (laughs) Comic-Con. We got some Star Trek news. And some of it qualifies as news, I suppose. Let's start with the two trailers that we got. We got a trailer for Star Trek Picard Season 3. I hasten to call it a trailer. It's just a collection of character introductions or reintroductions. Spock has opinions. Spock doesn't like it either. Spock has opinions on Picard, yeah. <laughs> you made me watch that whole thing while I was trying to sleep, says Spock, which isn't an unfair criticism. Yes. Yes, so we got a teaser. It shows the TNG crew in their, I don't want to say old, but their older glory. You get to see a bit of LaForge wearing a Starfleet uniform. You get to see a bit of Worf wearing a captain's Starfleet uniform. Seven of Nine, she's not a TNG character, also wearing a Starfleet captain's uniform and so on. What did you think of this teaser? There isn't much to say, I don't think, but still, there are thoughts. There must be. I kind of thought this was something that we had seen already. I don't know if this is just a slightly longer version of the one that we've seen before, is it? Because it was a kind of Picard vague trailer before. It has the feel to me of something where they've put a microphone down during them doing the table read, taken a few snap lines from it and then put it over some really dull video of them in a room to the side of the table read. It doesn't really tell you much. 
I'll wait until they actually put the effort into making a trailer. This was just pretty much an extended version of the one that they inappropriately released in the middle of the last season for no reason. I did find it interesting. Rafi's not in uniform, but Seven of Nine is, which yes. I thought was interesting in there. But I don't know if I'm putting too much into what costumes they've put them in for this reel. I don't know if it's who could be bothered to get into an outfit before this was taken or not. Seven of Nine going from rankless to captain in the space of... You have to assume not very long at all. Yeah, I mean, that was the reveal from the last season, wasn't it? The depressing reveal that Janeway almost quit Starfleet to get Seven in Starfleet. And they were like, nah, we're not taking her. What, she helped you get home and did all these sacrifices and stuff? Nah, means nothing, pal. Off you pop. <laughs> Liberated you from the Borg Collective, helped you reclaim your humanity. But nah, we don't want your kind in here. Yeah, it's not enough. Not enough at all. Worf, I thought, looked great. Worf's the only thing I'm excited about in season three of Picard. And seeing him looking older with his grey beard and Klingonness. I was quite chuffed with that. I think he looks great. Yeah, he looks really cool, doesn't he? I mean, we've been waiting for Worf to come back for ages, so was definitely keen on that. How much they'll be involved in the season, I still don't know. You can hear our very long-form thoughts on the Picard podcast of what we thought of the last season. I think this one's got a lot of work to do to get there. I did see there was the line about fans have got to earn the reunion. I was like, really? Really, really? We always intended to get them back, but not right at the beginning. Well, originally you were doing one season, and the one season was going to be something totally different that we had never seen before, so it wasn't meant (laughs) to be a reunion. So it's an interesting rehashing of what their plan was. And after two seasons of this guff, we have earned it. We have definitely (laughs) earned it. We watched season two. Our price is paid in full, thank you. Bill has been paid. And not Bill Shatner, (laughs) just the bill in general. We've paid it. Yeah. We left a tip. (laughs) There's nothing really to say about it. It just confirms that everybody's there. They're all looking their age, which is, of course, fine. It looks a bit melodramatic, which is pretty much what I expect from Picard at this point anyway. Does it whet my appetite for the next season? No, it doesn't. It doesn't excite me as much as it should. I'm looking at these characters that I watched for hundreds of episodes. Well, over a hundred episodes, but hundreds of times coming back. And I should be more excited about it, but I think certainly season two sullied me in the whole concept and just made me be a bit reluctant to look forward to it because they're probably going to nors it up, aren't they? The trope that I've said for Picard is uh, find out how your favourite characters are depressed in the future. Whatever ones you thought had an optimistic route ahead of them, nope, it's not been. It's been horrible. (laughs) Everything's been terrible. I think we said for Picard, we're expecting Worf to have lost a leg become a monk somewhere, been exiled from the Empire. Something weird has happened to Worf in this time, hasn't it? He does have a line about sacrifices, so here we go. It's coming (laughs) any moment now. Seems that he's still in Starfleet and at the rank of captain, so that's something. He's at least had a fruitful-ish career by the looks of things, but yes, I'm waiting to see what misery has befallen Worf in the intervening years. It's not enough that he loses his wife, it's not enough that he suffers losses at the hands of the Dominion and Goldukot and all that. Need more misery for Worf. Let's just pile it on. We can't let Worf be happy. He's fueled by Klingon misery. Yes, and he'll probably have to fix the Klingon Empire like he usually does. It's like that thing I said before with Worf in The Next Generation. He's in essentially a middle management position, and once a season he gets called on to fix the Klingon Empire, and then he's right back <laughs> to his middle management job. That's my headcanon as to why we haven't seen the Klingons in Discovery in the 32nd century. It's because they don't exist anymore. After Worf died, they were unable to function. He wasn't there for his annual fix the Klingon Empire pilgrimage, so they just crumbled and died. Yeah, Worf was on annual leave that day and the Klingon Empire collapsed. <laughs> yeah. The week after Worf died of old age, the Klingon Empire imploded and that was the end of it. 
and all the Klingons somehow died. They just did something horrible to themselves. They all committed ritual suicide, every single one of them. Billions of people. That seems bleak enough for Picard. <laughs> yeah, it really does. No sense of what the season will be about. However, previous interviews suggested that the villain was going to be someone that we'd seen before in some way. So it's someone we knew. I don't know who that could be. I can't even be bothered speculating, but they've said that. We're getting more soon. Let's have data, but not data. Let's have that. Yes, not data. We can have not data in the show. The only character that, or actor that doesn't appear in the trailer, incidentally, is Brent Spiner. Seems like they're holding back what he's going to be. Yeah, because his character in the last season wasn't disappointing in the slightest. <laughs> Absolutely. Sorry, hang on. I've dripped some sarcasm on the desk. Let me just wipe that away. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, shall we move on to our next trailer, the only other one we got, Lower Decks Season 3. It looks like the usual collection of manic energy that the show has, I don't know, become famous for, but certainly become known for by me. There's some riffs on a few things. You get their adaptation of the space jump from the 2009 Star Trek movie, for example. You get stealing the Cerritos, but it still doesn't have its hull reattached. <laughs> you get some laughs, you get some adventure, all sorts of stuff. What did you think of this trailer? This was lots of fun. I've been really enjoying Lower Decks. Like you say, this is crammed full of little references and hints and different bits and pieces through each scene. And we've seen through Lower Decks when it's been on the telly that they have just crammed every frame with little references to other things. I like the join Starfleet, discover the undiscovered country and bits like that that were in there. How they're getting away with stealing an impounded starship. Let's just say that Starfleet security is very, very, very lax. They might make that joke. The rubbish will we'll get away with us, no problem. Yeah, they just don't expect anyone to attempt it. It seems like there's quite a few of them that get on there to steal it from impound. I know that we're seeing certain bits out of sequence. It does seem like there's quite a lot of them involved in the whole thing. I like the throwaway line. We're not supposed to be getting treated by exotic aliens with slightly different nose ridges. Yeah. That is what Starfleet's <laughs> all about. That was a good laugh. And we've got the dolphins back. Dolphins yes. are back. No, no, there's some Deep Space Nine stuff in there, but the dolphins are back. Yes, and they don't like it when you go into their tank with shoes on, dirty shoes on specifically. <laughs> Which, fair enough, that's their home. You don't want to be trailing mud in their pool of water. That's fine. What rank are the dolphins? I don't know. You could check. Is there a rank insignia on the dolphins? I've not looked. I'm not sure. They are wearing uniform, but I don't know if there's a rank insignia on that. They're bound to be. I'm going to guess Lieutenant. Let's go for that. Yeah, I think they're going to be above the lower decks, aren't they? Yeah, they outrank Boimler for some reason. <laughs> it does seem like the Fugitive arc will be wrapped up. I don't know if it'll be quickly, but certainly in the trailer, it looks like they're back on Starfleet business at some point pretty soon in because you see the captain back on the bridge. They're all wearing uniforms. If they'd rescued her and they were still fugitives, you'd think that they wouldn't be wearing uniforms. So it seems like it will be resolved. I mean, of course it will be. It's obvious that it will be, but it's surprising that they put that in the trailer in a way. Yeah, I guess. But it's because they're doing sort of compendium clips, aren't they, through the season. It might be on what they've worked so far. But yeah, it could be that it's half a season's worth of it. It could be that it's two episodes. I almost expect for it to be one episode, a second episode, maybe riffing on some of the stuff that's happened the one before, and then that's it. They're back on business and it's all proved okay, but I might be wrong. Yeah, could be a good opportunity to see Ransom do a bit of command stuff when Freeman's not around. Mm. He can cut about and be an idiotic captain, I guess, with everybody else. Definitely seems possible. Yeah, and of course, the end of the trailer, we got to see Deep Space Nine, and it celebrated the fact that it was Deep Space Nine. You got the music, you got some hilarious referencing. I'm going to say I, I wish they hadn't 
leaned into the joke too much in the trailer. I would have been happy with just, it's Deep Space Nine on the view screen and then end the trailer there. As funny as the pylons joke was, I would rather laugh at that when I'm watching the episode that it's in for the first time. Yeah, it would have been nice maybe to get the extended bit of that in there. But it's been done as a bit of a fan thing to get people excited about Deep Space Nine being involved again because Lord Dex is really the only one that's leaned into a bit of Deep Space Nine stuff because you had them building the station model. Was that last season? Yeah, it comes with an Ezri and a Jadzia. <laughs> yeah, and Quarks is a franchise in the Lord Dex universe now because there's Quarks at different spaceports and stuff. So they've had a bit of that. And I saw that they were in Cisco's restaurant at the beginning. Lord Dex has been the one that's kept the Deep Space Nine torch lit. And everyone else has been pretty much forgetting it. So it's nice that they're going to be doing something with Deep Space Nine. I don't know quite what. I'm with you, though. I maybe not have included the full run of the joke in there. As funny as it was, the just circle the station looked like we're admiring the pylons. <laughs> <laughs> really funny that's the problem with doing Lord X as a discussion we're just kind of repeating the jokes and then laughing at them ourselves mm. which maybe doesn't make for the most enticing podcast listening who knows maybe we'll do our Lord X podcast when season 3 finishes we'll see how it goes we'll see what's going on at the time and what kind of time we've got and whatever else in terms of the Deep Space Nine torch being lit Picard has mentioned certain aspects of Deep Space Nine before yes fuck I said it I said it Quarks was on Free Cloud, the planet they went to in the first season, and Martok and Ducat were mentioned in season two. Also, Cisco was mentioned in season two, or a Cisco. Ah, that's true. At the beginning of the season in the alternate world one, you're right. Yes. Yeah. Trailer for Lower Decks. There was a trailer for the Star Trek video game, a new one, but I haven't seen it because I didn't realise that it appeared until before we started recording this. So let's just assume that I love it. It's a space game. I love space games, be it No Man's Sky, Elite Dangerous, Star Citizen. I'm there for a space game. So a Star Trek-themed space game? Yes, please. Also, your barely started playthrough of Mass Effect. Yes, also my barely started playthrough of Mass Effect. Though I have finished Andromeda. Yes, the weird order to do it in, but never mind. We have some other bits. Alex Kurtzman confirmed that two new shows are in development, but he didn't say any more than that. I wonder if one of them's the oft-talked-about-but-never-appears Section 31 show, which is a bit like Section 31. Maybe it exists and we just don't know about it. You just have to know where to find it. Like, yeah, it's on season five. Where have you been? <laughs> it's just going to release all five seasons. Just going to dump five seasons worth from Paramount+. Plus. Turns out we've been making this for a while. We've just never had the gumption to press go. It's a secret. Only true fans get to know of its existence. If you haven't seen it, you're not a true fan. You've got to find a QR code in a secret location, and when you scan it, you get full access to Section 31 on Paramount+. Plus. I don't know if it's going to be Section 31 or not. I think it's been talked about so long now that if one of the two shows was Section 31, they would just say so. Yeah, it has to be something totally new, doesn't it? Yeah, it's either a reworking of the concept that was going to be Section 31, and now it's not called Section 31, it's not based on Section 31, they might feature somewhere in it, but they've started investigating it, and while they've been writing, they've went, actually, we've found a more interesting story in this corner. Because I think if they were working on it, they would just say so, because it's not a secret. It's not a undisclosed thing that anyone would be surprised about. So I don't know why you would hold that back. My guess is that one of them is definitely Starfleet Academy. It would make sense if that's another 32nd century show, maybe with Tilly in the lead or in a leading capacity. Certainly it would make sense to just tell more stories in that more free time. However, 
I do wonder if they couldn't resist the temptation to set it in the early 25th century and have episodes where your guest lecturer for the week is Tuvok or LaForge <laughs> or Reginald Barclay or whoever we can coax to come and have a chat and deliver some lessons to these young cadets. I feel like with the way the franchise is in terms of nostalgia and calling back to stuff, I feel like there must be a massive temptation to let's just bring all these characters back and use them as guest lecturers in a Starfleet Academy show. I guess that would be the temptation, wouldn't it? Is you, you can put it somewhere where it's right for the picking for guest cast. You see how excited people get when there's heritage cast members for want of a different term getting pulled into a show it gets a little bit of publicity and a little bit of bubbling talk so they might go that way i would still like to see tilly's venture into the academy get a bit more of a purpose i think it was good for the character you kind of feel i want to see more of tilly i really liked her so getting to see that in the future in a kind of unexplored region of the show in the timeline where they're not going to be tripping over canon every five seconds would be pretty good you could still have your guest lecturer thing but it would be this week we have a hologram representation of insert whoever you want here (laughs) as your lecturer maybe you could still do that but maybe they will set it back in the period so that they can pull different guest lecturers and you might have hit the nail on the head there here's Voyager's Doctor, who's still alive because he's a hologram. Here he is. <laughs> they could do that. What do you think is the potential of them doing another animated show, considering that Prodigy has done pretty well, Lord Dex has done well, albeit in a different style to traditional, inverted commas, Star Trek. Do you think they would go animated with something else? One live action, one animated? I don't see why not. It's something they can get off the ground in a different way a bit quicker. Maybe not a bit quicker, but something they can get off the ground in a different way. It's a different skill set, it's a different team, and then your casting, you can cast a bit more of a wide net because you just need voices. Not to downplay the contributions of voice actors, but you don't need a specific look to fill a specific role. You just need the voice because then you animate around that specific look. But then you might create characters that people want to see in live action, so how do you do that? Not the way that Star Wars is doing it, I might add. (laughs) I actually haven't considered them doing another animated show, but that could be. But I'm trying to think what concept they could do for other live action shows, because Starfleet Academy has been talked about since before Star Trek VI, the movie, came out. That was an idea as far back as then, and it's just never taken off at that point. And it's something that kind of made its way into the 2009 movie, in that Kirk is at the Academy for 10 or so minutes and doesn't really attend any Academy stuff. So it's something that the franchise has been flirting with as an idea for a long time, and it's right there as a concept. It's a high school drama, but Star Trek. Or a college drama, but Star Trek. So why hasn't this happened yet? Why have they not done it? Because it seems like a no-brainer. I totally agree with you. I think it's right for picking. There's a lot there in the Star Trek universe that you could turn an eye to and go, what if we went more in-depth into XYZ? Not necessarily for a series that's going to run for seven seasons or whatnot, but do an interesting take on something. I always think the space politics can still be interesting. If you look at some of the stuff in The Expanse, for example, a lot of the political intrigue and manipulation and everything in there is still very interesting and very fun, even in the episodes where ships aren't 
pew-pewing at each other. And I think you could do something interesting in the Star Trek universe along those lines. The Academy thing just makes sense, doesn't it? You could almost recycle scripts from any one of those shows, but insert Star Trek elements, couldn't you? Just need to replace a few characters, make a few aliens, do that. I'm making it sound a bit too simple here, because that would be probably very bad if we saw it and we'd complain about it. So basically what you're saying is Riverdale, but with Star Trek. (laughs) Riverdale, but you do a search and replace on the script. (laughs) It could be along those lines, though. For some reason, whenever I think of... I know what the reason is. Whenever I think of high school slash college drama, I immediately go to the CW. That's my first thought. (laughs) So CW-style Star Trek show? Sure, why not? I'll watch it because I watch everything that's Star Trek, but don't know if I necessarily want it in that style, or maybe I do. I don't know. I'd have to see to figure it all out. But certainly plenty of ideas out there. You suggested something like The West Wing, but with Star Trek. You're you yeah. talking like politics. Yeah. Part of me wonders if one of the ideas for these two new shows is original series rebooted because we've got our Kirk cast, we've got Spock, we've got Ahura, we've got Nurse Chapel. The crew is filling up. Yeah, you're getting there. It sounds like every season almost they're going to be adding crew, doesn't it? They're going to be getting to their cast each season. Eh, maybe something all on that. I've just decided that one of the shows could be NCIS but Starfleet. <laughs> We're just doing forensics. But with tricorders. But it'd be like space forensics and stuff. We don't need to send this to the lab because I've just scanned it with my tricorder and it told me everything I need to know. End of episode. He did it. He was the <laughs> Roll credits. <laughs> <laughs> it was him. Roll credits. We don't need to faff about in the lab for an hour. We can just scan and be done. Also, there's no crime on Earth in the 24th century, so we're fine. We don't even have anything to do. That's because space NCIS are too good. Unlike the rest of Starfleet security. (laughs) Our last item on the list that was announced is we're going to be getting a crossover between two shows. And it's not the two shows you might think. There's going to be a crossover between Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks. How does that happen, one might ask? We'll discuss potentially how that could happen. The crossover will be in an episode of Strange New Worlds that is directed by Jonathan Frakes. And in that crossover, Mariner and Boimler will be interacting with the crew of Pike's Enterprise, but crucially, they will still be animated as they do it. So what do you think of this? I'm just thinking of a live-action version of Badgie, where they're getting some sort of training video, but it's animated Boimler and Mariner. I don't know. I guess? I don't get how this works, because Lower Decks is forward in time? Yes, so my guess is that it's going to be Boimler and Mariner doing some kind of holodeck adventure that takes them onto Pike's Enterprise, so it'll be from their perspective. Okay. Which seems weird for an episode of Strange New Worlds, but there is previous for this in Star Trek. There have been episodes of old shows that have done similar ideas. I don't know if you remember the Voyager episode, Living Witness, where the Doctor, or a copy of the Doctor, was reactivated on an alien planet hundreds of years in the future where Hmm. Voyager's visit had been skewed by the passage of time. And the episode actually had nothing to do with the ongoing adventure that Voyager was having. It was just, here's an idea of how they might be perceived by people even hundreds of years later. So it could be something like that, or let's use a bit of a disturbing, controversial example. These are the voyages where... Riker and Troy went to play on Archer's Enterprise to help Riker decide on something that he'd already decided. 
See, that was the one that instantly appeared in my head. <laughs> the Doctor one's a good shout. I quite like that episode, actually, because it's interesting showing how historians, with the limited data that they've got, can draw the wrong conclusions and can massively skew off without the right data. I find it weird that they're still going to be animated but interacting in strange new worlds. If you had said this the other way round, so Strange New Worlds is going to be animated in the lower decks universe. I would have been understanding of that. I would have went, oh, like a holodeck thing where they're going back in time and messing around with the crew or a weird time travel thing for lower decks. Cool. With this one, I don't get how they've done it. I'm guessing because it's the next season, it's already filmed, (laughs) whatever they're doing. So, okay, I guess. I just look forward to seeing where it fits in. I can't work it out, but I imagine for them to do something as weird as that, that they've got a reason or a how or a why or a what or a A (laughs) to put it together. (laughs) Like I say, I'm more expected if there was to be a crossover of that kind for it to be in Lower Decks because they're the ones forward looking back or those are the ones that can fit in, whereas... There's almost no reason for Strange New Worlds to collide with it in that way. Well, I don't think it'll be Pike's Enterprise going forward in time and finding that everything is animated for some reason. I don't think it'll be that. (laughs) So my only guess is they'll tell a holodeck story where the point of view characters for that episode will be the Lower Decks characters. But quite what the purpose of that story will be, I don't know. Maybe they'll be joking about the visual inconsistencies that people get hung up on about the original series and the shows that are set in the original series era. I don't know. But that seems the most logical way to depict this. I can't think of any other way that they would do it. Unless it is they just literally travel back in time and then nobody notices that they're drawings. Your one's probably right that we're looking at it from the Lower Decks cast point of view. And I think they've got a lot of potential to have fun with that. Strange New Worlds, it has its little fun moments in it and they do the little weird quirky stuff every once in a while in that show. It depends on where it comes in the season with everything else that's going on. As much as Strange New Worlds is more episodic than other current Trek shows, it might throw you out of the show slightly if you've got a couple of serious episodes and then right in the middle you've got an episode with a narration from Mariner and Boimler as they (laughs) go about something that's happening on Strange New Worlds. It might absolutely work they might have a reason everyone on the ship that time was on weird hallucinogenics from the kitchen some alien plant that they brought on board or some weird thing like that that they could just roll with it and have a lot of fun that might be a way of doing it it just depends on where it fits in with the rest of the season and the rest of the stakes that you're doing in the show because it's very difficult to do a show where it's very serious very procedural we're on a mission doing a thing trying to save the universe from collapsing and spock's having yet another crisis comparing his humanity and his vulcan side anyway here's this episode where there's random animated characters (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i am curious and i am kind of looking forward to it because i do enjoy lower decks i have been enjoying strange new worlds so 100 percent there for it until i watch it and then i might be 100 percent against it (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, give it the benefit of the doubt until you can't. Until proven otherwise, it might be the best episode of Star Trek that has 
ever been constructed. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen any online reaction to it, but there's probably a lot of naysayers that'll be like, "That's just ridiculous. It'll never work." But you haven't seen the episode, so don't say that. Even though we often do that on these news podcasts, this concept is absolutely ridiculous and will never work. Have we just outed ourselves as hypocrites here? But I'm willing to give this a go because I think the franchise has built up enough good faith with me in its current iteration to make me at least be willing to hear it out and see if it can deliver this. Yeah, you've got to have faith. Faith of the heart. I think on that statement, I should just beam you into space rather than home. I wouldn't blame you. (laughs) (laughs) Don't ever say that again. There's only so much tolerance we're allowed. And we already mentioned these are the voyages, so we've already upset people. (laughs) Sorry. Anything else on the Star Trek news that we got at Comic-Con or... Do you want to get beamed back? I'm sure I've taken up more than enough time. (laughs) Okay, well, if you'll step on the transporter pad, I will beam you back. But thank you for joining for another Star Trek News Roundup. You're welcome. Energising. I have returned Chris to where he came from. Tell him I said hello? Oh, it's too late now. It's too late to tell him. Never mind. You'll have to tell him yourself someday. I'll stay silent to him whenever I see him, and I'll wait for the next Star Trek news so you can tell him I said hello. Yes, (laughs) that's what we'll do. I've paid forward a hello. (laughs) That's going to be a really awkward night out when we have that. Just sit in silence at his birthday. (laughs) Like everyone's saying happy birthday, and I'm just staring at him. (laughs) Okay, let's hop over to the DC universe. DC had a pretty small panel. A lot of people seem to be quite disappointed with it. I think they're holding back a lot of stuff for fandom. Or maybe they just don't have a lot of stuff. Who knows? But they did have some stuff. The first up was the trailer for Shazam! Fury of the Gods. I really liked this trailer. I've really enjoyed learning about what this film is going to be. The old school myths and magic stuff that they're going to be dealing with. Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu is a villain. It'll be good fun. It looks a lot of fun. I still haven't watched Shazam 1. Ah, you should. It's one of those ones that I will eventually get around to, but this does look like a lot of fun. It just looks like just a goofy little movie with, again, people having a lot of fun being in lightning bolt-shaped costumes and messing around with special effects and stuff. So this looks like a fun romp sort of adventure movie. I think of DC's two big trailers, this was my favourite of the two. What did you think of the Helen Mirren scene where they reference Fast and Furious? Oh yeah, because the guy who made this made Fast and Furious 7, I think? I'm not sure. I'll get my big Fast and Furious 8 movie collection. <laughs> which is on its high shelf, that's where it belongs. I think he's 7 or 8. David F. Sandberg. It's not written on the discs, unsurprisingly. I don't know why it would be. No, he has never directed a Fast and Furious movie. He directed Lights Out, which was alright. He directed Annabelle Creation. One of those things that I haven't seen and will never watch. And he directed the first Shazam. So he's back to do this. I'm more meant the fact that obviously Helen Mirren is in Fast and Furious and the fact that this old god or whatever she is looks exactly like Helen Mirren and they aren't referencing it. It's weird in, for example, Spider-Man movies when he mentions Star Wars and stuff and it'll be working with Sam Jackson. that will be like, you look exactly like... <laughs> oh, I found it. So the writer Chris Morgan who is one of the credited writers on Fury of the Gods, has written a few of the Fast and Furiouses, six, seven, Hobbs and Shaw. Ah, they said, you wrote something with the word fury in it. Do you want to write this? You've written a Fast and Furious film before. Do you want to add another film with fast things and furious? And with fury in the title? And do you want to do a scene about Fast and Furious as well? You wrote the two best Fast and Furious films. That's a good sign as well. Which ones are they? Six and seven. It's the one where they drive a car through three different skyscrapers. Okay. And seven is the one where they keep cutting around the fact that Paul Walker isn't there for most of it. Yeah, someone where he drives away into the heaven at the end. <laughs> They're all pretty much smashed together in my brain, so fair enough. But I've no reason to doubt that this will be any good because the first one was really good. So 
I'm looking forward to it. That sounds like a lot of fun, yep. But there's a focus on family, Fast and Furious, whatever. But Shazam family, it's also a thing. So it's thematically relevant as well as just being, huh, we can reference Fast and Furious. Maybe there's a larger conversation we could have at some point about films that exist in film or TV universes, the things that they refer to when actors are in both, that kind of thing. Yeah, Samuel L. Jackson in Star Wars and in Marvel. So did they think that Nick Fury just looks like Mace Windu? It's not reference, but there's a nod to the Quentin Tarantino movie he's in in one of them. It's not an in-character one, it's just a line or something. Yeah, it's on his tombstone, The Path of the Righteous Man, the quote from... Yeah. Pulp Fiction. Well, the quote from the Bible, but also Pulp Fiction. <laughs> it says Pulp Fiction on the grave. <laughs> so you're going to watch Shazam at some point? Yeah, I'll have to catch up with the first one before this one, but yeah, this looks like fun. And one note I've made is the only hero that isn't name-checked is Superman. Oh yeah, Superman is absent. But he's has a cameo in the first one. Without a face. Yeah, he shows up at the end. He's just got a cameo silently in the background until they decide what to do. <laughs> the other trailer is Black Adam. It's another similar-ish teaser to the one we got before. Looks all right. My problem with films starring The Rock is I can't see him as a character. I can only see him as The Rock, which in most of his films is fine because he's just doing what he does. But when he's playing something like Black Adam, it's different because he's playing a character. Yeah, he is the rock and everything. So it is odd. But it'll take a lot of work for him not to be the rock. He would have to just stop working out or something, wouldn't he? I think he's too obviously the rock, so I don't know there's much he can do really. Yeah. But that's fine for most of his films because he's just playing the rock. Yeah, he's typecasted as himself in all of his movies. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing you can do about it. Skyscraper, he's the rock but with one leg. Rampage, he's the rock but his best friend's a gorilla. Fast and Furious, he's the rock, but a government agent, sometimes. Sometimes. Piers Brosnan's always fun, and I think he looks like he's having a lot of fun being Dr. Fate. I don't know much about the Atom, it's, it's sort of zipping around. Yeah, I don't think he's too prominent, or I've missed him a couple of times. Get a bit of Hawkman. It's Black Adam, but the more interesting ones seem to be the ones who aren't Black Adam. Visually, it looks really good. The Dr. Fate costume looks amazing, and Hawkman looks cool. And... The Rock looks good as Black Adam as well, in his really expensive Black Adam cosplay. I don't know if you saw the video at Comic-Con where he was on stage with the lightning effects. Oh yeah, he made everyone's lanyards. Bubble. The lanyards go on. That's The Rock being The Rock, I suppose. He's a showman. Who did that first? Was it Tom Hiddleston as Loki, or was it Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow, or was there one before that, where they'd come in in character, in costume? I'm not sure. Loki was the first one I remember. I know that Tom Hiddleston definitely did it, yeah. Andrew Garfield did it as Spider-Man as well. Oh, it'd probably be that one. I know that Johnny Depp did it, it was kind of unpopular, because it was when that franchise was kind of dipping, so no one really cared. Yeah. Maybe Johnny Depp did it first. I remember the Amazing Spider-Man 2 panel. Andrew Garfield came on in costume, in character, and he went up to Jamie Foxx and said, I loved you in Django Unchained. And everyone had a great laugh at it. When was Spider-Man 2? Was it before or after The Avengers? It was after The Avengers, because The Amazing Spider-Man 1 was the same year as The Avengers. I want to say 2015 for Amazing Spider-Man 2. Okay, I think it might have been around that time when he started doing the in-character crashes. But yeah, just The Rock being The Rock and just putting on a show. Yeah. The next trailer, it was at Comic-Con, I believe, it's for Batwheels, which to me started as a joke in Teen Titans Go to the Movies, where Robin goes and watches a bunch of trailers because he wants the spotlight because Batman always gets the spotlight. And there's a trailer for an Alfred thing, and there's a trailer for the Batmobile thing, and we already had the Alfred thing. Yeah, we had Pennyworth. Yeah, Pennyworth, and now we've got Batwheels, which looks a bit like cars, but with the Batman family of vehicles. It's definitely not for us. Yeah, so there's the League of Super Pets coming out, and there's... The vehicle version of that movie coming out. They're relatively the same. Yeah, League of Super Pets looks like it's geared at an older audience. That's the rock in it as well. Yeah. 
But yeah, it's the same sort of thing where it's family fun. <laughs> but yeah, this one being a little younger children, but... Yes. The notable thing here... Well, I put that the song is catchy because it is, but the notable thing here is that Ethan Hawke voices Batman. Everyone will eventually voice Batman. Everyone does. Keanu Reeves is Batman in... Or is he Ace the Bat-Hound in Super Pets? Everyone's working their way around. We'll get to someone eventually. Yeah, Keanu Reeves is Batman in Super Pets. I think it's Kevin Hart that's Ace the Bat-Hound in that film. By the time this podcast is out, the film will be out, by the way, because it's out on this weekend at the time of recording. Who of us will get it? Actually, I realised as I was saying it, Aaron will be the first of us to do Batman, I think. <laughs> I agree. I feel like he'd prefer to play Alfred, though. But you'll get told you're playing Batman. You're playing Batman. You don't get to pick. Yeah, if you want to be in this, you're Batman. Then he turns it down. The Rock's Alfred. <laughs> you're Batman. <laughs> Why not? The last bit of DC news is Jim Lee, who is DC Chief Creative Officer and Publisher, confirmed that there is no plans to do any more Snyderverse stuff. None at all. They're just not doing it. And there's a long and horrible tale about the way that Zack Snyder behaved in the making of these films and the back and forth that happened. I won't really go into it. It's a matter of public record. Look it up. Some of it might be conjecture and stuff. But stuff like he was stealing hard drives and threatening to delete stuff if they didn't do stuff and possibly breaking COVID protocols by filming a Green Lantern scene in his front garden or something. So a lot of weird stuff going on there. It's all weird. I don't care about Zack Snyder's movies. I wasn't gunning for the Snyder Cut. The initial bumpy era of the current DC universe. It's moving past that tone and it's finding its own directors with different voices. And it's still got a loyal fan base. We don't need to have another Zack Snyder DC movie for a while. (laughs) Yeah, it's right that those are dead and buried. Because we got the Snyder Cut. People got the Snyder Cut. But all that did was galvanise them and want the rest of it. And it's just never going to happen. And I'm glad it's never going to happen. As much as I would like to see it, it's just let it go and let's do something else. The disappointing thing about it is, though, that it looks likely that Henry Cavill will never get to return as Superman. And it seems like they just won't commit to doing a Superman thing. Yeah, that's a shame. I was also super excited about the New Gods movie that Zack Snyder ruined (laughs) because he was bringing out his own four-hour version, which was much less interesting. No, no, no. People might get confused between my dark side and your dark side, Ava DuVernay, and everyone's like, no, we won't. Let's see the other version. Yeah, that was the only DC movie I was excited (laughs) about. And it didn't happen because weird babies want to see a four-hour movie for some reason. (laughs) So it wasn't you that made all those bots that got the Into the Speed Force to be the Oscar-winning populist scene or whatever the award was. No, all of my bots were trying to get the Fast and Furious jumping through three skyscrapers scene. <laughs> I had my own thing going on, but I didn't win. All your bots are concentrated on making Doctor Who stuff happen. Weird Doctor Who stuff. Bring Chibnall back. <laughs> <laughs> They're all just shouting, bring Chibnall back. <laughs> Every time the BBC tweets something, you just launch a million bots at them saying, hashtag bring back Chibnall. Bring him back. He was fine. <laughs> won't stop yelling at him. Let us hop over to the Marvel Universe. Marvel had a much bigger showing at Comic-Con, where they announced their slate for Phases 5 and some of 6. They announced their slates for forever. Yeah, that's it. We've planned out our movies for the next 100 years. Kevin Feige will be dead by the time they reach the end of this, but they're getting made. If I can go in with a theme, it's going to be, it's so far away. That phrase might come up a couple of times. (laughs) It's all so far away. Well, we got some answers. I know a lot of people have been complaining that Phase 4 doesn't seem to have a plan And I would agree with that, but I wouldn't say it's a criticism. I think it's fine that after the Infinity Saga, we have an entire phase where we just recalibrate. Yeah, it's just a breather zone. You've had a massive epic Avengers thing rounding off 10 years of movies, and now we can just have a play with 
whole world of TVs opened and different characters taking on different mantles and just setting up stuff. It doesn't have to end in a giant showdown again. Phase four is about introducing new people to possibly pick up in the stead of the people that make the part and the older characters that are still around just taking a breather after such horrible stuff. Could you imagine just Hawkeye and Doctor Strange and whoever is part of the original lineup just sitting around being like we're in phase four can't believe we're in the middle of another universe ending situation here this is ridiculous yeah if you do too many immediately if we sort of look at the whole thing we're getting another epic two-part avengers movie in 2026 or five it's soon so it's not even that long until the showdown the multiverse saga is much more compact you can wait a bit there's time for the giant nonsense action to come but you do have to kind of earn it first you have to build up to it you've jumped ahead slightly but phase six will end with two avengers movies in the same year may 2025 may 2nd actually avengers the kang dynasty and in november 7th 2025 avengers secret wars and every visual effects artist is looking at the slate and thinking oh my god we're never gonna sleep again yeah, I'm wondering if Marvel's crunch cult is going to come back and damage them a bit. They'll either have to do some rapid changes in their practices, or I think they may lose a bit of cred. The thing about that, though, is while it's not right what Marvel are doing in terms of the way that they're treating these VFX artists and how they should definitely change their practices, they could even lead the charge on changing their practices once they realise the damage that it's doing to people and their careers and their livelihoods and so forth. But as I understand it, every major studio is at it. For all their blockbusters, they're just working people into the ground in terms of delivering these visual effects. And you can attribute some of the ropey effects work you see in blockbusters to the fact that these people are overworked and just don't have the time to deliver on the quality. As well as all the other ones, I think the big name studios, it's been known about, especially in like the world of video games and stuff, and in movies as well. But I think it's a point now, they'll all have to change. And I think if, say, Disney did lead that change... And we're like, look, we're still making these giant movies, but we're not forcing everyone to work forced overtime or anything. So I think it might be in their hands. It's a case of they're currently the ones under fire. And I think it may be a case of they may have to take charge and sort of be like, no, we're the ones who are going to change it. Someone will have to. Exactly, someone will have to. And it's getting more and more of an outrage each time. So Definitely. I do feel for the people that are just overworked and stuff, but at the same time, I'm part of the problem because I'm sitting watching this stuff and just not thinking about the kind of work that's going into it. Even though I am publicly aware of how difficult it is and how much talent is involved and the fact that they do just need the time in order to put these things together and deliver. So let's hope they find some way because that is a lot of content and there's only so many effects houses and there's only so much time in the day and all that stuff. It's a weird one. But phase four, which we're currently in, and we're in the multiverse saga, which is something that we didn't know before. It's all going to build up to whatever Secret Wars will end up being. Phase 4 closes out with Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, which we will discuss shortly, and She-Hulk as well. Those are the last two things in there. Phase 5 begins with Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. We'll talk about the footage that was shown to people at Comic-Con, but not us on the internet, which is fine. But that's out in February 2023. Spring 2023 at some point, Secret Invasion. Talk about the footage shortly as well, that we can't see, but people have described May the 5th, 2023, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Again, footage, talk about it shortly. Summer 2023 is Echo, which is backdoor Daredevil pilot by the sounds of things, because there's going to be a lot of Daredevil action in there. But hopefully they'll give Maya plenty of time to shine because she's really good. Loki Season 2 in Summer 2023. The Marvels, July 28th, 2023. Your most anticipated, I would imagine. Yeah, that's my current most anticipated. Get to see Kamala again, so I'm excited about that by itself. 
November 3rd, 2023 is Blade. Don't know much about that. We just know that Morbius won't be in it, or we hope Morbius won't be in it. Fall 2023 is Ironheart, which is Riri Williams, who will appear in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Winter 2023, we've got Agatha Coven of Chaos, which has been renamed because it was the House of Harkness before, but now it's Coven of Chaos. Yeah. I wonder what that means. Spring 2024, we've got Daredevil Born Again, which has been announced as an 18, 18 episode Daredevil series. Can you believe that? An 18-episode Marvel series on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, with uh, Vincent D'Onofrio as well as Charlie Cox. Yeah. yeah, and there's been a lot of debate over whether it's going to be the versions that were in the Netflix shows and so forth, and I basically have decided, it's up to me, of course, that it isn't, because when you saw Fisk and Hawkeye, you had a very different backstory. It's just a completely different version played by the same actor, who is very similar to the one that you've seen before. That's basically what this is. Yeah. Which I'm f- absolutely fine with. Charlie Cox in that role, excellent. Vincent D'Onofrio in that role, excellent. I hope they dig up the supporting cast as well. Foggy, Eldon Henson. Yeah, that'd be fun. It'd be a big shame if they didn't. I know they're not continuing the story, but they were building up to, what's he called? Evil Hawkeye. Bullseye? Bullseye, yeah. They were building up to Bullseye. At the time, I'd really like it if they somehow got that bullseye back and brung him a bit because I was very excited to see him. He was really good in Series 3. Probably not going to be the same universe and thing, but I think they'd miss a trick by not filling in that void. Yeah, there's no reason they couldn't reuse that actor as well. Assuming he's free, of course, in which case they can use him. If he's not, then, well, they can't. I really want to see him throwing staplers around and things, using those as weapons. Yeah, that was really fun. I really enjoyed his stuff. And it's Marvel. They'll give him money. They can work around it. The Daredevil story they're adapting is called Born Again, which is loosely what was being adapted in season three already. It's a bit like doing Dark Phoenix again. Why are we doing this again? I think it's more in a literal sense of it's the character of Daredevil played by Charlie Cox again, and they're just taking the name. But it's one of those iconic comic runs, so if it's not referencing that other than the title, then people will be annoyed. I'm going for that. I think it's just the title. Fair enough. That's... A good guess. We'll see what happens. But 18 episodes of Daredevil, that'll be interesting. Because we've had six or eight or nine episode series until this point. Yeah, it's a big chunk episode. It seems like they're properly positioning Charlie Cox to be a big player in the universe from now. Because he's cropping up bloody everywhere. Which we'll talk about in a bit. The next one is Captain America New World Order, which is May 3rd, 2024. A director was announced a while ago, Julius Ona, who directed The Cloverfield Paradox. You know, everybody's favourite Cloverfield movie. Is that the good one? No, no it's not it's the good really one. really bad one. Really, really bad one. It's the one that wasn't a Cloverfield movie and then was a Cloverfield movie, so they just hammered in a load of references to the first movie or the second movie. That's also what the second one is. <laughs> yeah, but the second one does it better. I mean, the second one's a good movie. I don't think the Cloverfield Paradox was this director's fault, or maybe I'm just saying that so that I can look forward to Captain America, New World Order, starring Sam Wilson, and not be worried about the fact that they've hired someone that made a really bad film. We'll get around to Captain America, but I'm not super excited. It'll be fine, but the show wasn't very good. I liked the show a lot, and it'd be good seeing Sam Wilson in that role, properly. It looks cool with the wings and stuff, but in terms of the shows that I have watched, Falcon and Winter Soldier was probably my least favourite. I liked it a lot. It was fine. After that, we've got July 26, 2024, which is Thunderbolts. And that's going to be directed by Jake Schreier, who directed Robot and Frank. They haven't really said what it's going to be in terms of anything, but the Thunderbolts is sort of a Dark Avengers type thing. So you could have people like the Abomination and US Agent and Yelena and Taskmaster and all these people. Basically all the villains that aren't quite villains that they've introduced. Oh, we've just had news is broke on Shang-Chi director Destin Daniel Cretton will be directing Avengers the Kang Dynasty. I noticed that and it was on the notes. That's an interesting choice. 
Chongqi was good. I've still not seen that one. Apparently, it's the gem of the phase. Yeah, it's good. I would say it's good. I don't know if Destin Daniel Creighton is necessarily an Avengers caliber director, but sure, why not? Maybe he'll surprise us. Give it a go, yeah. Chloe Zhao would have been a good choice. That would have been interesting. Maybe she'll do the other one. Maybe. We have a release date for Fantastic Four, which isn't until November 8th, 2024, so quite a while away, but they're going to start production on it soon, which probably means that D23 will get a casting announcement. Yeah, I'd imagine so. And it won't be John Krasinski, probably. No, but we'll see. And then, as we said before, May 2nd, 2025, Avengers The Kang Dynasty, and November 7th, 2025, Secret Wars. So The Kang Dynasty will be directed by Destin Daniel Cretton, and of course they're positioning Kang as a big deal in the universe from here so he's going to be at big bad i don't know if he'll necessarily be the big bad and i feel like every time he shows up it'll be a different one because the one in loki was one and then he dies spoilers for loki and then there'll be one in ant-man and the wasp quantumania who will probably either be defeated or die in that film so i do think there'll be different kangs with different plans showing up and different things and maybe they'll combine in some way towards the end We'll have to go stop original Kang or something yeah and then he'll be related to reed richards and dr doom or dr doom whichever who knows is another one I don't know much about. I have absolutely no knowledge on the Fantastic Four. Just a little bit of Doctor Doom stuff, but it's a blank spot in my knowledge. <laughs> you might remember him from that Avengers cartoon we watched, though. Yeah, I only know him from the end of Loki and that Avengers cartoon we watched. The Avengers cartoon's a pretty comic-accurate depiction of him. And for those that don't know the cartoon, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, probably the best Avengers cartoon they've ever made, and it got cancelled and replaced with something that was awful. Secret Wars will be interesting. If we're in the multiverse saga, I'm pretty sure they're going to try and drag up anybody from the multiverse to do these things wherever they can get old versions of characters and so forth yeah i briefly googled secret wars because again i don't know what it is it's just basically the arena planet thing which i think is also in that avengers cartoon or a spider-man cartoon it's in the 90s spider-man cartoon he goes and fights the secret war where he has to form a team to fight the villains battle world Battle Planet. Yeah, there's multiple Secret Wars events in the comics. The original one was probably one of the first events comics. It was either that or Crisis and Infinite Earths. I don't know which one came first. Basically what it was, it was cynically created in order for Marvel to sell a toy line. They said to the writers, write 12 issues of this. Here's all the characters you need to use because we're going to make some toys. And they did. And the story is pretty good, actually. But I don't think it'll be that one. Basically, the Beyonder gets bored and decides to create a battle world in pit heroes against villains and then see what happens. But the thing about Secret War, the original story, it had consequences. It had fallout for every character that was involved. For example, that's where the Venom costume came from. Yeah. Everybody who was there kind of changed in some major way. I did have a thought about the whole approach that Marvel's doing here. So obviously you're seeing a lot of event titles in this run. Secret Invasion, Secret Wars, etc., and the issue with that is, I think, as much as I love these films and these TV shows, this universe, I feel like they're not allowing these events to have consequences. Because if you look at Civil War, in theory, that should be game-changing or universe-changing. But the Sokovia Accords are never anything. They don't do anything with them. Civil War isn't required for any of the stories that are told after it, because it just gets ignored. The only thing is, in Infinity War, Tony Stark mentions that him and Cap aren't talking, and that's it. Yeah, its main role was just to sort of break the Avengers up a bit to allow for them to gather back together. Yeah, it didn't have major lasting implications. Everyone's kind of cool with it, just going back to normal. Yeah, and same with the blip as well. It's intermittently brought up and mentioned, and it's explored in more detail during the TV shows and things. But even then, it's not had a major impact, or not that we've seen in the universe at large. So I'm kind of worried about these major events also coming to nothing. They're just a couple of films, and then 
everybody gets back to normal? It is a possibility. Uh, I suppose it depends on whether they want to keep the sort of ground level stuff to the TV ones or the, include it more in the film ones or... Yeah, I'm not sure. It would be good to just explore the consequences of these. In theory, when you have your breather phase, that's what you do. But the blip doesn't come up in Love and Thunder at all, for example. Yeah. you think it would, but who knows. As promised, some footage descriptions. So the first bit of footage that we didn't get to see, but audience at Comic-Con Dead was Secret Invasion. It shows Samuel L. Jackson scratched up as Nick Fury, comes out of a spaceship to meet Kobe Smulders' Maria Hill at a bar, who has tried to contact him unsuccessfully in the past. She claims he's been avoiding Earth for years and asks why he chose to come back now. He explains that the situation warranted his attention. In the upcoming series, Fury returns to Earth to deal with a faction of shape-shifting Skrulls who have been infiltrating Earth for years. He has an intense conversation with Ben Mendelsohn's Talos, a Skrull he helped in Captain Marvel. You've got to be very careful, Fury says the human version of Talos, who teams up with Fury to stop the Skrull invasion. Another shot, Fury is sitting down with Don Cheadle's James Rhodes, who is surrounded by men in black suits. Fury to James, how much do you know about your security detail? There's also a shot of Olivia Coleman in an authority figure role to Fury, almost like Bond's M saying, you're in no shape for this Fury. Kobe Smulders also promised it's going to be a bit of a darker story than you might be used to in the MCU, which is something that I like to mention for Daredevil. Maybe they will go on a mature rating for that show, and maybe this show as well. Yeah. So this is more of a spy drama style thing than more of a gritty, fighting dirty, untrusting, learning to figure out who's who sort of situation. Yeah. And it's who can you trust and whatever else. Basically the story of Secret Invasion. Who's a Skrull and who isn't? And who has always been a Skrull, perhaps? Maybe there's some characters that we've known for years that have always been a Skrull. Maybe. People seemed upset with the fact that Armor Wars was ignored in the release lineup, but there's loads of gaps in Phase 6 that will be announced at D23, so it's probably in there somewhere. Yeah, I suppose it's been moved or delays to production or something has moved it back a little bit. Same with Spider-Man, no mention of him. But again, probably in there somewhere. And it's down to Sony to reference that, I think. We had one really recently. There's no immediate rush to announce the next Spider-Man one. We've, we had one last year. Yeah, so I imagine it'll be in Phase 6 somewhere and it'll be announced by Sony rather than Marvel. Or maybe they'll get dispensation to announce it. Maybe, yeah. Probably a Deadpool 3 kicking around in Phase 6 somewhere. Yeah, well, they're definitely making that. So, yeah, it'll be in there somewhere. Yeah. The next bit of footage we got description for was Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. New exclusive footage for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. In the new footage, Paul Rudd, Scott Lang is reading excerpts from his new book, Look Out for the Little Guy, to a crowd. It's clear Scott hasn't seen any action in a while before he gets a call from prison, which has his daughter, Catherine Newton's Cassie Lang, in custody. Scott wants Cassie's help, but he also doesn't want her to waste her life. He talks about how he saved the world, which has met with Michael Douglas' Hank Pym calling Scott out for constantly pointing it out, which Michelle Pfeiffer's Janet Van Dyne and Evangeline Lilly's Hope also pile on Scott. It cuts to Kang speaking to Scott, you're an interesting man, Scott Lang, and points out how many years Scott missed trapped in the quantum realm. You've lost a lot of time, but time, it isn't what you think. It's not a straight line. Something in the lab explodes and starts sucking them all into the quantum realm. They all end up in another world, navigating it in new suits as Bill Murray's Kryler shows up, who knows Janet. Everything you're holding on to, everything you call life, I know how it ends, Kang says. Scott tells him he made a mistake because he's an Avenger. Kang asks in disbelief, you're an Avenger? And ponders to Scott, have I killed you before? There you go. They're going to force me to watch some of these Ant-Man movies. (laughs) I'm making them pivotal. Yeah. We got some reference to Scott Lang's fame in Ms. Marvel, didn't we? Because he appears on podcasts. I don't think they're his podcasts. I think he just guests on podcasts. Yeah. And we need to find out if Thor is secretly a gamer, which we already know. I'm not a big fan of the Ant-Man movies. Ideally, the sort of skippable one. Because also has it got Modoc in as well. Yes. Thing. Corey Stoll, who was uh, the villain in the first one. Yeah, his yellow jacket's now Modoc. Yeah, 
So yeah, the show are making us go watch the Ant-Man movies. I like the Ant-Man movies. The second one's a bit ropey, but it's pretty fun. The first one, I think, is genuinely very good, actually. I'm not, I'm not super into them, but yeah, I guess I'll have to go watch it. Tom Rudd is always charming, isn't he? He is always charming, and it's got Bill Murray, which is fun, and third time a charm, it worked for Ragnarok, so you never know. <laughs> this could be it. This could be the one that unites. This could be the Ragnarok of the Ant-Man franchise except it might not be that funny the next bit of footage description we got was for guardians of the galaxy volume 3 the trailer reveals that gamora is now working with the ravagers gamora doesn't remember anything about her time with the guardians which isn't surprising because she's told from a universe where she wasn't with the guardians yet so that makes sense peter quill clearly still loves her she tells him that the gamora he loved is gone that she isn't the person he loved but of course the trailer also included gun's sense of humor as the rest of the guardians overhear peter's embarrassing heart to heart with her the trailer which is soundtracked by an epic version of the flaming lips do you realize with lyrics like do you realize that everyone you know someday will die really having increased resonance in this final adventure. Introduces new characters and shows where our old favourites are now. In terms of the new characters, the trailer featured a first look at Will Poulter as Adam Warlock and Shookwood Iwuji as the highly evolutionary who walked throughout the crowds of Hall H stating that he takes disgusting creatures like the people in the audience and turns them into something less revolting. Followed by proclaiming, I can't wait to dissect all of you and see what I learn. Also announced is that Maria Bakalova, who was in Borat, will be playing Cosmo the Space Dog. James Gunn also stated that a major part of the third instalment would be exploring where Rocket Raccoon came from, with Gunn saying that Rocket has got to be the saddest creature in the universe, and that's what this is partly about. Karen Gillan said that Nebula is now finding herself now that Thanos is gone, and that she's finding her own personality. And Pom Klibatif says that Mantis is still quirky and weird, and that in the new film she shows a lot of confidence and some fighting skills. I'm guessing that the High Evolutionary will have created Rocket then. Yeah, probably. Outside of the movie, I don't know much about the Guardians, and I'm assuming Rocket has a comic origin. I don't know what his history is in the comics. I think his first appearance was in a Hulk comic, weirdly. I don't think he was originally a space creature. I think he was just a raccoon. Probably just like all the other ones, just an experiment. Yeah, that sounds pretty interesting, delving into Rocket's backstory. It's the one they haven't done, so that makes sense. Yeah, it's the one they haven't done. I mean, it's the last of the core gang. Which isn't to say they won't make more Guardians of the Galaxy movies. It just might not necessarily have... Star-Lord, Gamora, etc. And James Gunn probably won't do it. And we have the holiday special as well, which is this year. Yes. That's all of them as well. That'll give us more info into what's going on. And they are in about four minutes of Thor, Love and Thunder. But it doesn't tell you anything about them. They're just in it. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) Yeah, they're not in it very often, but it doesn't matter. I was happy with their appearance in that movie. The next thing is we've got some pictures, basically, that we can look at. And the first one is of X-Men 97, which is the sequel series to the 90s X-Men cartoon. And it shows some pictures of the new animation style, which looks pretty cool. Magneto is leading the X-Men in this. He has a costume with a big M on it, so that you know who he is. I'm in two minds about this because the thing of it is, we had the 90s X-Men cartoon. It's been and gone. It finished. And now we're just getting it again. I didn't like it my brother loved it when it came out i never really watched it i wasn't into it it's the popular thing and it's something they can do so it'll certainly be popular with people and it'll have that nostalgia for a lot of people so it's understandable why they'd do it here's that thing you recognize looking almost exactly like as you recognize it and we're just doing it again yep there's some characters that are going to be prominently featured people like cable bishop nightcrawler sunspot and the original team you've got rogue gambit wolverine Jubilee, Cyclops, Storm, Jean Grey and Beast. And it's all the original voice actors returning to reprise their roles. So it's this, but again, basically all it is. It's the animated Lego sequel angle of things, yeah. 
And of course, the MCU has used the theme tune for this show twice without having made a single X-Men film. And the X-Men film franchise ran for almost 20 years without using it once. Yeah, I think this is definitely going to be a more of a this style of X-Men movie, probably. It's when they get onto the X-Men movie. Yeah. I was reading, and I don't know if this is true, but it's possible that as part of the Fox buyout, they inherited the contractual obligations of the actors that are still under contract to do X-Men stuff until 2025, which means they can't start production of an X-Men thing until 2025. I don't know how true that is, but that'd be interesting if true. So is it the characters that they had planned to make movies of? So any actor that's still under contract to make a Fox X-Men movie is still under contract which means that Disney can't start production on anything new until those contracts lapse. I don't know how true it is. In terms of production, is that the filming? Or is this a case of they can write them, they can plan them out, but they can't cast? It's just the casting and production bit they can't do. It depends if writing the script is part of production officially, or it's not in production until you've locked the script. I don't know. If you're writing in Professor X, they could leave the table like, well, we're going to get... James McAvoy, but then they'll wait till 2026 and be like, actually, that guy from The Mandalorian, we're getting him. They could get around saying, legally, you can't prove they weren't going to use the precast Nightcrawler, Magneto, etc. in the writing stage. And then these things change. So they could probably get away with a lot of behind-the-scenes production. It's just probably the physical stuff where they struggle. Yeah, because there was rumours that Disney had already started production on a Spider-Man trilogy when they didn't have the rights to use the character yet. Yeah, they could just buy it out as well to be like, yeah, we'll pay him some money as a contract release fee. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Hello, James McAvoy. You want 20 million to get out of your X-Men contract? And James McAvoy says, God, yes. Release me from this hell that I might have to do one day. Yeah, I'm sure if that's a case, they can probably just get around. Yeah. They've also confirmed that there will be a second season of it. So that's a thing that's going to happen. I wish I could get more excited, but it's just, I've already had this. Can you not just make another X-Men cartoon? A lot of this Marvel stuff, it's either so far away, and then we've announced Series 1, and we're really happy with it. We're going to do Series 2 already. And it's like planning my 40th birthday at 30. <laughs> get around to it. Well, it's really hard to think about it at the moment. Birthday trip to see Avengers 4. We've already had Avengers 4. Avengers 6. Well, Avengers 6 will be around about your birthday, won't it? Secret Wars. Probably, yeah. November. Yeah, probably. It's not immediately available there's so much ahead of it it's hard to get excited about any of these announcements it'll come around but i can kind of forget about it for a bit yeah sort that out later focus on one film at a time i suppose yeah unless you're on a news podcast in which case you might have to think slightly further ahead yeah I think that's why i quite enjoyed the dc ones was like here's the next two immediate movies <laughs> and here's the trailers yeah. it's like okay they're coming out soon that's yeah. fun this will tide you over for the year worry about the rest later yeah we finished phase four and here's how we're going to wrap up phase six <laughs> Phase 7's going to be this. It's like, all right, fine, cool. <laughs> the Earth might have boiled by then. Yeah. Speaking of another thing that's coming up soon, we already knew this, but we're getting Spider-Man Freshman Year, which is an animated series, which we originally thought was going to be the origin of Tom Holland's version of Peter Parker in the MCU, but it's definitely not that, because there's all sorts of stuff in there that shouldn't be there if that's what it is. They've announced a second season, which will be called Spider-Man Sophomore Year as well, and... Charlie Cox will be returning to voice Daredevil. So they're sprinkling the guy everywhere. They're just keeping him under contract. They're just going to use you everywhere so that you don't leave again. Yeah, keeping him busy. Basically, there's a bunch of pictures that were shown at Comic-Con of proto-suits and different suits. and Made a couple of villains. Norman Osborn is going to be the mentor figure instead of Tony Stark. And here's where it's definitely not in the MCU because... No Way Home confirmed that Norman Osborn does not exist. Oscorp does not exist in the MCU. Therefore, this can't be the same Peter Parker. 
Yeah, no, it's just a separate little universe. This is another one where they've announced sophomore year has also been confirmed. This is another one where it's like, yeah, we've planned this, and then there's already a lot of it coming. The artwork is reminiscent of the Steve Ditko years drawing the comic. So you've got Doctor Strange looking like he did in the 60s, essentially, with his porn star moustache and so forth. So therefore, again, not in the MCU because... He's met Doctor Strange and doesn't meet him until much later. We've got some of the villains, as you said. Got Doc Ock, for example. Other people, the chameleon, the scorpions there. Yeah, it looks pretty good. I always say this about any animated Spider-Man thing, but will it be as good as Spectacular Spider-Man? Doubt it. Well, I'll have to wait and see. Yeah. But what do you think of the art style? I like when the Spider-Man costume's got like a homemade, made by a 15-year-old kind of vibe to it. It's, there's no budget and it's just like a hoodie cut up and there's gym gear and a homemade mask and stuff. I like a homemade Spider-Man costume. It's always fun. He has a few options. He's got his classic one, the Future Foundation one, one that I can't remember quite what it is, a black one with wings, and one that was one of the other alternative identities that Peter Parker took up at one point. I forget what that one is. I want to say Ricochet, but I'm not sure. No, the Hornet. I think that's that one. He's got a couple of options. Yeah, it's a fun art style. I don't know how much you've seen of the Steve Ditko run where he was drawing it, but it's a lot like that. Yeah, it's not an area I'm familiar with. Yeah, I've only seen seen the images that released this comic car. A very orange looking Norman Osborn. Has he got that weird, terrible hair? Yes, he does. I don't understand how it works. (laughs) I need to see that in live action so I can figure it out. Just horizontal rows. How does that work? Like yeah. Kanye West glasses. I don't know <laughs> what it's supposed to represent. Daredevil costume and it looks really cool. This is black suit basically. Yeah, that looks fun. So yeah, that'll be fun. Another first look is Marvel Zombies, a spin-off to the Marvel Zombies What If episode. They release some imagery from it. You get to see Icarus with his guts hanging out, his eternal guts hanging out. He's in it. And you get to see the, the rest of the team and some of the other team. You've got the Abomination. Captain Marvel's in it, so you'll like it. Captain America's there. Okoye, Hawkeye, and Bucky on Wanda as well. All zombies. Yeah. Yeah, it's just more zombies. That was a fun what if, so that'd be nice to see more of that. I mean, they did something recently in DC, the deceased, the comic run, and that dealt with once the Flash becomes a zombie and he's the fastest man alive. Everyone's like, just a zombie. <laughs> yeah, how dangerous the Earth's Mightiest Heroes can become if suddenly they're just spreading things. It's a series I didn't really bother with, but apparently it's very, very good. And I think it's doing a similar thing where it's like if Wanda and the Hulk, these sort of god characters like Icarus, can become zombies. What hope have any of us got? Yeah, yeah it's like, what's the hope there? <laughs> what do you do? It doesn't look like as a direct spin-off of the What If episode. It's just the concept. They're just doing it again. There are some human characters in it as well. You can see Kamala there. You can see Kate Bishop, Yelena, Red Guardian, a few others. So it'll be fun. I'll watch it. It'll be fun to watch Kamala have to kill her icon, <laughs> zombified icon. Kamala versus zombie Captain Marvel would be fun. <laughs> That'd be like a never meet your hero situation. Yeah, definitely. I've wanted to meet you forever, and now I just have to cut your head off somehow with my light constructs. What if is being delayed to 2023? I didn't realise that that's a delay. I didn't realise it was supposed to come out this year, but it is. The second season, though, will include Hela, Captain Carter. The Captain Carter episode will be a sequel to the episode that was in season one, and it's just going to be Winter Soldier, but with Captain Carter, which is kind of disappointing. So I guess it'll be Winter Soldier Steve Rogers. Yeah, the Hydra Stomper thing. Yeah. Scarlet Witch will be there, Iron Man, Black Widow, Doctor Strange, and more. The comic book also listed the inclusion of young Peter Parker doing something. Yondu, Korg, Thanos, the Grandmaster, Red Guardian, Ego, Shang-Chi, Bucky, Captain America, and Gamora. So I wonder if some of them will be sequels to the stories we had before, because some of them ended in the way of suggesting that we might pick these up. 
Yeah, some of them ended on a cliffhanger didn't go anywhere, but I suppose that's also the fun of the what if is you don't have to finish the story. Like had there was it Zombie Thanos with the Infinity Stone. That can just be where that ends. We don't need to see the end. Obviously there's more phase four characters they can play with. Some of the scenarios there'll be a hella story, whatever that is. Maybe it'll be just Thor but Hella instead. I'm guessing there'll be what if Odin and Hella continued or Odin versus the Mandarin, which could be fun. Yeah. That could be fun. Captain Carter meeting Winter Soldier, which we already talked about. Yeah. Tony Stark on Sakaar with Valkyrie and Hulk. That sounds like a fun story. Yeah. Essentially, it's just him in the cave, but on a different planet. You just all whip stuff yeah. up. Yeah. And the panel also included confirmation of a 1602-inspired comic storyline. Oh, that'd be fun. I quite like 1602. I've never read it, but is it just medieval Marvel? It's medieval Marvel, yeah. It's quite fun. And Iron Man's just a knight, basically. Doctor Strange is just the magician of the palace, and I think Charles Xavier is in the conquistadors and you have daredevil young peter parker is a secretly superpowered working guy and it's a lot of fun if you can find it as an interesting sort of alternate world it's quite fun maybe i'll wake up my marvel unlimited subscription at some point and read some stuff yeah it's pretty fun so let's get on to some actual trailers instead of describing trailers we can talk about some trailers that we can actually watch and the first one that we got was Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I thought this trailer looked amazing. Visually, it looked amazing. It looks really emotionally gripping. The focus on grief interests me. And with this being a big budget, populist blockbuster after or in the middle of a pandemic, telling you it's okay to just take stock of your life and situation and grieve a bit. It's okay to just slow down and let yourself feel something. Because that seems to be what the film is about. They're leaning into the fact that T'Challa is dead. That's confirmed in the trailer. Yeah. I wonder if he'll have died of something similar to what Chadwick Boseman died of, cancer. I'm going to assume they'll just be like, he passed. I don't think they'll go into any details. I think they'll just be like, oh yeah, he's passed. Whether it be an illness or heroically or an unseen adventure, I don't think they'll go too into detail. I would quite like it if his death was just the same as the actor. It's just something that you can't defeat as a superhero. I feel like it's just something they would. The character is also dead. Especially with the amount of stuff that appears to be going on in this. They'll probably not go into too much detail no. on that, I imagine. They might mention the cause, but they'll at least mention whether it was something heroic or just a freak yeah. illness that they couldn't do anything about. None of their advanced technology could do anything about it. But it would have to be some really... It would have to be a very particular illness, I suppose, because Wakandan technology brought Everett Ross back from near death in the last film. We'll see. What outsmarts the Wakandans in terms of mortality. We'll find out. But the idea that they're focusing on grief, you've got his mother is the queen and she's just done. She's just so strung out and fed up and angry about everything. I really like that. And you get to see Namor, apparently with the whale swimming imagery, they use the same technology that they use for Avatar for filming underwater, which makes sense. Yeah. Namor looks cool and we get a shot of a Black Panther, but it doesn't say who it is. Probably Shuri. It's not big enough to be in Baku, that's for sure. I'm guessing there's going to be multiple. You reckon? They'll all get a go, I reckon. That's what I'm putting my money on. There's a shot in the trailer where M'Baku looks like he's wearing a Black Panther-esque necklace, but I can't remember if he already wore that anyway. I can't remember if that's maybe just to honour his friend, or it could be like a sign of respect or something. Because I think they'll all bring a different thing. So we've got Okoye, the skilled fighter, and Shoi, the scientist, and M'Baku, the chief, and stuff. Well, that's the question you ask when you watch Black Panther and Infinity War and stuff. It's, why isn't everybody just wearing this costume? Because it's indestructible. Yeah. I'm going to guess from the trailer, it's going to be like a Wakanda Stronger Together sort of thing. The synopsis says it's different power grabs. So it's not necessarily just Namor. There could be space for a Doctor doing more surprise character to sort of show up and stake a clip. There is that potentially leaked previs yeah. of Doctor Doom, which just 
shows the costume looks like Doctor Doom. Apparently the casting for Doctor Doom is a lock. They know who it's going to be. They just won't reveal it. So yeah, it makes sense if he turns up in this one. Latveria being a nation as well, they can contest sovereignty yeah. in their own way. Namor, Atlantis, obviously they can, again, contest sovereignty. So it could be some kind of political thing, fantasy political stuff. Yeah, it could just be you've lost your leader, so we're taking your land. Yeah, but for a mood trailer, they really nailed it. Yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. Maybe people saying, what's rounding off phase four movies? This looks like a pretty solid, big action sort of finale. Not like a finale, but a decent round off to this sort of slate of movies. I'm glad they seem to have really went for it with Namor in terms of the comic book accuracy. Yeah, the big pants. Why not? Just big green pants. Try and make fun of him for it. See what happens to you. Wonder if Namor will appear in any X-Men stuff because he's technically a mutant, apparently. There's a weird one. I'm assuming there'll be a bit of Namor. They've cast him long term, I imagine. Yeah, this looks really good. Visually, just looks stunning. People like to criticise the visuals in Marvel movies, but this, it looks like they've really shot the hell out of it, as people say. Yeah, visually, you can't really complain about that. It looks pretty amazing. Until the third act, it looks like a PS3 cutscene, like the last one. Yeah, the last one has a bit of a thingy problem, but give them time. These visual effects artists work really hard under horrible conditions. Yeah. Let's move on to the She-Hulk trailer. This is out relatively soon at time of recording. It's a few weeks away, August 17th. This is a more complete trailer where, again, the CGI was insulted on the first trailer. They seem to have beefed it up for this one, so it was just a rendering issue. And it was actually with Guardians 3. James Gunn said they haven't released the footage online because the visual effects aren't where he'd like them to be for the endless scrutiny they're sure to receive. So he's going to wait a bit. It's fine for people seeing it once at Comic-Con, but not people doing it frame by frame and zooming in on the internet and stuff. So, fair enough. Yeah. This trailer looks good. One observation I've got is... I have a few observations, but one that I've got is the air horn has Mighty Honk written on it at the beginning. I missed it, but apparently there is a hint of a aware of the camera element. Yes, there's a fourth wall bit. It's the bit where Bruce says to her, if you want to go back to being a lawyer, I understand. And she turns to the camera and says, I don't think he understands or something like that. But it could just be turning to someone that's just behind the camera. It could be, yeah. Someone who's actually there. Unless they do break the fourth wall, which would be fun. Yeah, I said one of the the other shows that they use as a... Influence going in was Fleabag, which is a fourth wall breaking show. So okay. They could mix a bit in. I think it's actually just a half hour thing. There's nine episodes, but I think they're only about 30 minutes each. So it's more like a sitcom legal drama type thing. Yeah, I think I'm more into this trailer. I think the first time I was like, ah, eh, no real rush. But this looks kind of fun and goofy and it's kind of nice. Well, I like the idea of She-Hulk being the poster girl for super powered legal stuff. Yeah. Which is kind of like what yeah. they were trying to do in season two of Jessica Jones, but then ran away from it with a wizard and so on. Yeah. Oh. And yes, so segueing from Jessica Jones, we get the little Daredevil sneak as well. Yeah, we get Daredevil. There's some yellow on his costume, you can see. A little bit, yeah, a little bit of trim. So that's cool. I'm glad they're going with initially for this, they got black. I think like in red, he looks a little silly. Well, the Netflix costume looked a bit dumb, so it depends if they do a more robust looking red costume. But he's in it. Tatiana Maslany said that Matt Murdock and Jennifer Walters are good friends. So that makes sense. He's a lawyer. Bring him in this. Why not? Yeah, exactly. It fits in. Yeah. Jamila Jamil is Titania, breaking through the wall. Some weird and wonderful superior stuff. The Wrecking Crew are in it. They're typically Thor villains, kind of. Yeah, but it looks like it should be just like a fun. It's not a serious sort of one. Just a fun thing you can tune in on. Yeah. I like the montage where she's just nailing all the tutorial stuff. Yeah, I've got this. I'm great at this. Yeah, lots of fun. And of course, Wong is in it. Everyone's favourite. And Wong, yeah. And we love Wong. Face falls Wong's face. <laughs> well, he was in three things. Well, four things. 
Spider-Man briefly. Do love Wong. Yeah. The next thing, bit of a brief thing, it's for kids, but it doesn't diminish it. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. They're characters I know almost nothing about. I've seen them appear in Spider-Man comics, actually, whenever he decides to go to Savage Land for a bit for no reason. I like the name, but I don't know much about that. It's a young girl with a pet red T-Rex, and the T-Rex is red for reasons that I don't understand. Yes, because he's a devil. Yeah. (laughs) But it looks quite fun as a kid's thing. I think the fact that... Marvel are catering to that audience in a very specific way. It can only be. Yeah, good. I think they're going to generate stuff for everybody. They'll get the more mature stuff, and then they'll get more kid friendly stuff. I think, especially in the TV stuff, they'll cover all the bases. When we get to phase seven and we're in the Savage Land, they'll introduce them in the MCU properly. Yeah, we'll get there. Is there anything that you'd like that's unannounced if they announce the rest of phase six or anything else? Is there any one property that you'd be really excited to see them announce? I'd love a Squirrel Girl, for example. I know she was going to be in New Warriors. Any warriors, but I think if they threw a squirrel girl in, that'd be a lot of fun. Well, you saw the pictures that they did of the brief bit of filming they did for that. Yeah, the, the behind the scenes, yeah. She looked good. I forget who it was that was playing her, but she looked good. I don't really have any major desires because they've done most of the stuff that I really like already. And the fact that they're descending into more obscure territory is fine by me. Yeah. Give me characters that I don't know that well and let me just enjoy the ride. I've been enjoying that with Phase 4 with the new characters. Ms. Marvel had read the initial run, so I've read what they were adapting for the show. Although yeah. I didn't remember it as well as I thought I did, which is, again, fine because it means that I feel like I'm experiencing it fresh. But things like Shang-Chi and the Eternals and so forth, I don't really know that much about. There are things related to the Eternals I might like to see a bit more of, other Eternals-type characters and things like that. Quite a bit of cosmic stuff that we haven't seen yet. Silver Surfer, that's definitely one that I would love to see. Yeah. I'd love them to do a proper good Silver Surfer thing. Yeah, I feel like he's a good contender for us showing up at some point. Yeah, it's just a matter of time. They'll get around to him eventually. They're not going to leave that on the shelf. Him and Galactus. Yeah. That'll happen. Silver Surfer would be an interesting one because they could do... Well, it would just be full motion capture, wouldn't it? Throughout, It'd be like Rocket, but a full film. Yeah, they can get it looking real sleek. Yeah, but he looked good enough in the one film that he's been in. Not seen that one with a trailer moment where he bloops through probably the Empire State Building, I think, and it kind of does a big wobble. Yes, yeah, so it looked good in that, but yeah, I suppose that'd be the one I would be most excited about. And they should adapt the dance slot run where he had a companion that's a bit like Doctor Who. Oh, he's just like kicking around. He travels the universe with I forget the name of the companion, but she has kind of polka dot clothes, and that's an image she likes. So he keeps cosmically creating different clothes for her that are in that style. So that's something I'd like to see, and I think that'd be a really good hook actually. But You'd have to do his origin at some point, I guess. And would it be as part of Fantastic Four film? That's the thing. We've already had two Fantastic Four films. Let's not count the most recent one with Miles Teller and so forth. But we've already had two where the villain was Doctor Doom in the first one and then Galactus in the second one. So do we do that again? Probably. Seems a bit limiting. I don't know much about Fantastic Four at all, so I'm not sure who that other foes are. Yeah. Silver Surfer, that would be my desire. That's a pretty good pick. Anything else on Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur? I'm guessing it won't be anything you'll watch. Probably won't be anything I'll watch either. No, yeah, it's just another many announcements. <laughs> okay, let's move across to the Star Wars universe. We have a couple of things that came out at Comic-Con. The first one is second trailer for Andor, which seems to focus less on Andor and more on the wider rebellion imperial situation. I think it looks pretty good. I think it looks pretty grim and claustrophobic and brutal. Yeah, I hated Rogue One. So initially I was like, oh, I don't want to see this character again. It was awful. I think the same with this first trailer. I was like, ah, oh, this guy. But seeing the shady world of being a rebel in the early days of the Empire. I know it's, it's an era we've trodden on quite a lot recently. But seeing a bit of sabotage and subterfuge and spying and fighting a monumental thing. There's definitely a lot of 
extra stories you can do and then having him as the audience's connector in this trailer two got me a bit more excited for it apparently season one is going to be more of a central and or focus type thing so it'll be more of a character based thing for him and season two will be more about the wider rebellion building up to the rogue one side of it so yeah they'll use series one to build up extra characters and then we can see the extra stuff they do Yes, we'll see. I haven't been enamoured with Star Wars stuff so far, as you'll remember from our Obi-Wan conversation, which will be on your feed now that you can listen to. It is a little bit of, it's Mandalorian, but a different guy. (laughs) Obviously, it's a different time zone, but it's still people just having a go at trying to survive in this harsh environment. It's fine, but I'm more of a wizards in space and spaceships and fun Star Wars. But like I keep saying, not everything in the franchise you like has to be for you. Exactly, yeah. And it's good to recognise that, I think, because the fan entitlement on the internet is ridiculous. My perspective is, I don't like The Mandalorian, so I just am not going to watch it. And I'll wait for them to make something that I want to watch. Yeah, there's a lot of people who don't quite get that. There's a difference between something being a failure and you just not liking it. For example, I wasn't a massive fan of Last Jedi. I just thought it was a bit middling. But it's obviously not a failure movie. It made a lot of money and people like it. It's not mindset. Everyone else is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, <laughs> oh, so like some movies that other people don't like. There's no movie that everyone will universally love, and to expect that is insane. So if you don't like it, you can just wait for the next thing. Yeah. Or you can go back and watch the thing you did like. Exactly. It's a franchise. Exactly. There'll be more. It's Star Wars, there'll be more of it. Don't worry. Disney are going to make good on their $4 billion investment that they've made back probably 10 times over by now. Don't worry about it. Yeah. The last bit of Star Wars news we got at Comic-Con, in terms of live-action stuff... Because there was loads of comic stuff and book stuff that they announced, but I haven't really noted that because we don't talk about that on the podcast, so there's no point. But the Star Wars series, The Acolyte, which is probably the one I'm most interested in, they've made it official that it'll be led by Amanda Stenberg. That was announced before, but I guess she hadn't signed the dotted line. Now she has. The announcement came Friday with the official Star Wars account tweeting out a picture of her going farther back in time than any live-action Star Wars title before. The Acolyte is set a century before the events of The Phantom Menace. The series promises to depict the galaxy at the peak of the year of the High Republic, when the Jedi were at their strongest and the Sith were believed to have been eradicated from the galaxy. She was rumoured for the role in December, but the news is now official. Russian Doll co-creator... Leslie Headland is showrunning the series with Stenberg set to star. She was in The Hate You Give, which is a really good film. Headland is drawing at least in part from Lucasfilm's Star Wars A High Republic publishing effort, announced in February 2020 and launched throughout 2021. I've been reading The High Republic and some of the High Republic comics. It's a really fun era. Like I said, it's not an era with sin. It's outside of any of the film ones. It's just refreshing. Everything's new. The core value of Jedi and stuff is the same, but the technology is different and the characters, no one's showing. I mean, someone will probably show up. Yoda will show up or Palpatine will show up. Someone will show up. Yeah, there'll be a vision that she has of the future of Palpatine. That's what will happen. Yeah, one of them. But in terms of the world, it's not TIE fighters and stormtroopers or battle droids or anything. It's a whole different society and there's different technology and it's just really refreshing and really fun. So I'm, I'm really excited to see this play out in the big screen, uh, live action. However big your TV screen is, that size screen, or your phone. Yeah, your phone or a thumbnail on a YouTube video where you watch a different thing. <laughs> yeah, something like that. The High Republic, what's the difference between that and the Old Republic? Is it the same era or is it a different era? I'm not sure. I don't know much about the Old Republic. I think the High Republic is Disney's sort of set era for pre-prequels. So they just put everything in the High Republic banner. I'm not sure where the Old Republic fits in. Well, it's not being ignored because they're remaking the first game, so I suspect the Old Republic era will come into it at some point. The Old Republic must be before the High Republic because the Sith are 
prominent in the Old Republic era. There's loads of them. Yes, I'm going to guess it was probably Old Republic to High Republic, then Prequel Republic. Because it says here if the Sith are believed to be eradicated, and previous reports suggested that this series was going to perhaps be about the foundation of the Rule of Two, about when the Sith decided there's only going to be two of us. That's a good idea. The article goes on to say, Stenberg, who identifies as non-binary, broke out in the role of Rue in the 2012 feature adaptation of The Hunger Games. They have since gone on to star in films like The Hate You Give. I may have referred to as she earlier. That is my mistake. Mistakes will happen. I do apologise if I did that. But they were in The Hunger Games and they're in films like The Hate You Give, The Darkest Minds, Everything, Everything and Dear Evan Hansen which I'm told was horrible. He appeared in television shows like Sleepy Hollow. And the showrunner said, we're taking a look at the political and personal and spiritual things that came up in a time period we don't know much about. My question when watching The Phantom Menace was always, well, how did things get to this point? How did we get to the point where the Sith Lord can infiltrate the Senate and none of the Jedi pick up on it? What went wrong? What are the scenarios that led us to this moment? So yeah, this is just something I'm really excited about because it seems new. And it's what I've been crying out for for a long time. Yeah, it's just new. I think it's a new thing. That's something that's most exciting about it. Completely new. Well, not completely new. I mean, it's still lightsabers and Jedi, but 90% new. Again, like we said earlier with the Hunger Games spin-off prequel thing, are they really going to commit to the birth of a villain, the growth of a villain? Because that's something they seem to struggle with. Even with Reva and Obi-Wan, they couldn't do it. In the Harry Public stuff I've read, there's a constant enemy called the Nihil. Essentially, it's within the sort of dark side, but it's not a Sith. It's just like a dark side force. Not dissimilar to in The Last Jedi, that pit. Or, you know, when you have heavy dark side thingy on Dagobah. Yeah. That kind of vibe. Entities of dark side force that suck people in. If they're building them up in the books and comics, or if they want to feed these in, or it sounds like they're more going to incorporate Sith. But they could... The space for villains who... Are understandable villains, but there's also space for villains who are just awful. But what I mean is, when they do live action adaptations or live action stories, they tend to never commit to making your protagonist truly awful, making them a proper villain. They usually try and justify them in some way or make them some kind of anti hero or whatever. We're seeing that with Black Adam. We can't have The Rock be a bad guy, he's a hero, even though Black Adam was traditionally a villain. Yeah, it would be fun if they just did a real cackling. Maniac. Yeah, she's a Sith, or becomes a Sith, and we learn why she does that, and why becoming evil seems like the best way forward. Okay, we are nearing the end of our list. What I'm going to do before we get into our last two things is I am going to roll a dice and try and summon Aaron for a discussion about Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, that trailer. So again, if you want to amuse yourself while I see if I roll that lucky number. Yes, I rolled a 20. Does that summon an Aaron? Is that what it does? That summons a GM, actually. If you get a critical, you get a GM, not just a random player or anything. So, well done. What is a GM? Oh, Game Master for the Uninitiated. Yeah, I've forgotten. This is not a gaming audience. This is a podcasting audience. Although we are multifaceted. So, could be some people that are happy with that. Yes, there's bound to be some gamers out there that listen to the podcast, but I am not one of them. As in, I don't really listen to the podcast because I produce the podcast, but also, I'm not a gamer. No. Not a tabletop gamer, anyway. No, no, but I have been for more years than some of our audience would have been alive. So, there it is. Well, my summon worked, so that's good. So, in case you hadn't guessed, audience, we are here to discuss the trailer for the new Dungeons and Dragons movie, which has a subtitle, Honour Among Thieves. So since you're the expert on the brand, we'll start with what do you think of this trailer? I'm so up for this. I think there's potentially a little bit of lingering 
because the last offering of D&D was so awful, that film just doesn't bear mentioning. But I think even based on the trailer, I'm definitely up for this. This looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. I did have a question, or possibly several questions, on the back of it. I think it looks really fun as well. The cast look like they're having a blast. It is a good cast. It's high energy. The visuals look good. It gives you everything what you would think a good trailer would give you. But my question about it is this, and hopefully you can potentially enlighten based on your expertise. What about this as Dungeons and Dragons and not just another fantasy movie? So when we first started talking about this, I couldn't help but smile because it's one of those things where the order of creation is important. I will acknowledge Lord of the Rings, of course. Lord of the Rings comes first and inspires Dungeons and Dragons in the 70s. And it's one of those really difficult things to do out of order because you can say, oh, D&D is just copying all these other films. No. All these other films took their inspiration from D&D. It's a bit of a hard ask to say, well, D&D, what are you going to do to differentiate you from yourself? That's going to be really hard for it because all these other things came first. You've seen and didn't really like the World of Warcraft movie, but World of Warcraft could not have existed without D&D. There's so many things in there that is just blatantly, can we say copied and worried about infringement? I guess can't really say copied, but influenced by. And all the other films that are pure fantasy will have that problem. Where does their inspiration for magic come from? Well, probably they played D&D back in the day, and so on and so forth. And even if they didn't, arguably it all came from Tolkien in the first place, because when you look at D&D, it's obviously someone said, I want to play Lord of the Rings. So it's a tricky one. What about it is D&D? Everything. If you want to go into some really fine tooth detail here, then I can tell you why the monsters that are in it are D&D, the spells in it are D&D, the location is D&D, the characters are playing recognizable roles from Dungeons and Dragons. Like I can pick out the bard, the barbarian, the druid, the sorcerer, the rogue, the paladin. So it's really strange as a question to come across for me because I would answer everything is D&D and everything else copied this. Whereas to you, you're coming to it afterwards and you're thinking, oh yeah, how derivative. So it's a really strange one. Though. Well, it's not quite that I find it derivative as such. I recognize that D&D is the roots of so much of what we take for granted in the fantasy genre, so yeah. to speak. Lord of the Rings as well and whatever else. And playing games like Final Fantasy or Baldur's Gate or any of these fantasy-based games where Aye. you'll start to notice they've taken things from that. Because, yeah, we literally have a rule book here that we can take from and pick and choose from and use to build something out of it ourselves kind of thing so you could almost argue that say any of the final fantasy games are an elaborate DD campaign i suppose in a way because they have the classes and the abilities and even the mathematical formulas that determine that this spell does this much damage to this thing under these conditions those kinds of stuff yeah i recognize that's where it's all comes from but i mean from the point of view of they're adapting dungeons and dragons for this film so if they just called this film honor among thieves rather than Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, then would it change? Is there something about this that necessarily makes it, oh, this absolutely has to be Dungeons & Dragons? Well, this is where I come back to then literally everything. One of the glorious things to watch this trailer as somebody who is a fan is the fact that every single thing you look at is taken from D&D. And I was listening to some of the cast and staff interviews online. I think it was Michelle Rodriguez is commenting on one of them and says, you can clearly see that the two directors love their source material. And this was something that I think 
was potentially missing from the first film decades ago. It felt like somebody just, let's create a silly fancy film that is just fun. And there's nothing wrong with just fun, but if you just say it's a silly fantasy film, then all you've got to do is put a dragon on it and it's red and it breathes fire and that's any old dragon. You just put a sorcerer in there and cast some random spells that just do a few out of the ordinary things but they're magic because they're out of the ordinary. If I take those two examples then and bring them into this, I can go deep here. We can actually take this beyond these two examples, but I don't think you've got the patience or the time, but let's just use those two to start with. First things first, it opens with a black dragon rather than just your standard fire-breathing dragon, which is important for D&D because they've got different monsters, different statistics, different personalities, different capabilities. So in this, we saw a black dragon, a gold dragon, and a red dragon, and they were all different. They look different. They were drawn different. They were created different. They've got different attacks, different breath weapons. The red one breathes fire. The black one visibly breathes an acid in the opening scenes. And you don't see much of the gold dragon, but you just see them the same. Take that to the spells. Is it just random magic? No, it's the magic of Dungeons and Dragons. I can name the spell Misty Step, potentially Flame Blade, Shield, Slow, all of these spells that were used were taken from the source material and used in such a way as you didn't just have somebody showing off and using Misty Step as a spell. You had somebody getting out of the way of an attack using a teleportation magic that is obviously matching the description of Misty Step. They disappear into a mist and they reappear in a mist somewhere else. So it's faithfully Dungeons and Dragons everywhere. Potentially, I could talk, I say, loads more about all of this, the locations, the character classes that you can pick out for all of the main characters. It was just so recognizable. The fact that Michelle Rodriguez is a barbarian is right there in front of you. And by the way, the reason I wanted to mention that is because she is believably a warrior class. They've not picked a small woman and just asked her to do strange things on wires. She is believably strong, is Michelle Rodriguez. And, and other things they've picked out too. And I can't go any further without mentioning the very fact that Chris Pine, as the prime character in all of this, is a bard is just amazing for those of us who play or get involved in D&D at all. That statement will mean nothing to you as somebody who's just listening. But I assure you, every D&D player who's listening to this has either gone yes or burst out laughing or gone, oh my God, because that alone is a standout point. What is in Chris Pine specifically in that role or just the fact that the role is there? The fact that the leader of the party, the main character, is the class bard is the important point. Okay. It does raise an interesting question. Can anybody who's not involved in D&D enjoy that? I think they will, because you'll see Chris Pine playing a lute, doing a funny dance. You'll see Chris Pine as somebody who doesn't seem to have a very defined skill set, having to lead a group and inspire them to be heroes. It might not be obvious from the trailer, but I think it will be when you watch it. Some of these interesting for one of a better word, limitations created by a class that also give abilities will actually be on screen. And to me, that's just astounding. That somebody has actually taken some detailed thought, right? If you were really a bard class, how would you actually solve a problem in a believable way? And they managed to get a couple of jokes out of it because you see him do the little hop step and a jump in the trailer, which I think people will just 
I don't find that quirky and funny, at the very least. Yeah, it looks like it's accessible. That's what I got from it, without knowing much about the actual game. Obviously, I know enough about it through osmosis. It's just one of mm. those things that, even if you don't play tabletop RPGs, but if you just roll in nerd circles, you'll come across it in some no. form, one way or another, at some point. It will just be mentioned. Even if you're watching a TV show and it just turns out one of the characters enjoys playing Dungeons & Dragons. That's the kind of thing. It's just one of those household ubiquities isn't it yeah so i do think that on a primal here's a fantasy movie level it will be accessible to everybody that wants to see something like that but from what you're saying it sounds like there's a quite a lot underneath that that is there for people like you that are a big fan of this game the setup there definitely is and the interesting thing to hear about some of the cast and directorial interviews was what one of the directors says who i apologize i can't name but i'll give you a link for the show notes for a video to watch he said that They had nothing to do with producing the trailer. Obviously, that's just a standard thing. But they were asked about that in this. And it was interesting to hear him say that we thought it was a good and accessible trailer, but it was missing a key element for us, which was the heart of the film. And that sounds like just a bit of a random statement of an artist. But I understood what he meant. They are going for a fun adventure romp. But the thing that makes it for me a real adventure is that it does mean something there is actually going to be a reason in the world why what they're doing is important they're not just going to go beat some stuff up drink some beer and tell a few songs which you could actually do on a tabletop adventure that could just be a simple adventure and you could enjoy that for the strategic value of playing a game around the table you beat the monster and then you get the reward and that's where some of this started but over the years if not the intention of the original creators, it's become, no, we actually want to be heroes. We do actually want to save the day. And they said that was missing from the trailer, the part where they realize that something horrible is about to happen and they are the ones that have to stop it. It's not in the trailer, but it is going to be a part of the film. So I think it's a shame that the audience doesn't get to appreciate that from the trailer because you say, is there more in it for somebody who appreciates D&D? I think there is, but I think there's actually going to be more in the film for people who aren't involved in it who just want to see a good film and i don't know if they'll work on that in subsequent trailers or if it'll be missing from the adverts i'd be interested to see that actually yeah well it's not far away really it's far enough away it's out in march which is mm. a reasonable about time away so yeah there'll probably be at least one more trailer between now and then that might give you a more of a narrative focus or something i don't know yeah one thing i wonder if they're holding it back or not is because I noticed there's a couple of clues in there that make me think of something that characters on IMDb certainly are just named as their types the bard, the barbarian, the paladin, mm. and so forth. And then they talk in contemporary language, not the kind of more high concept fantasy esque language that you sometimes see in these things. But like you would see in Lord of the Rings, the way that they talk isn't the way that we talk. Yeah. That makes me wonder if there's an extra layer of reality where this is people running a campaign and this is them imagining how it plays out kind of thing. Like in the Lego movie, for example. Yes. So I wonder if that's maybe what they're not showing us here. It's possible. I didn't get that vibe. I'm not saying you're wrong. I didn't get that vibe purely from the cell, I suppose. I heard, is it Led Zeppelin playing over the main piece? I don't know my music well enough. But it was a very modern vibe for the whole setup. And I thought that was just to sell it to the modern audience, which is 
in large portions started to play D&D. I mean, as soon as you realize Vin Diesel's playing D&D, you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> this has become accepted outside of what we were considered the geek circle when we were kids. We were the ones to be made fun of. You're going to make fun of Vin Diesel. It's not going to work for you. So it's definitely moved into not mainstream, but into an accessible area. And I honestly just thought that the speaking in modern speech was part of that accessibility. The playing of, again, I think it's Led Zeppelin, but I'm not sure, is just putting it into that accessible area. I could be wrong. If they do go down that Lego front, it wouldn't be bad. I think it might be a bit on the nose for me. Because when you saw a kid playing Lego, spoilers by the way, it's kind of cute and it's kind of heart-wrenching as you understand what the purpose of that is. If it was D&D, I can't see it being anything other than a gimmick. So I guess I'm hoping it isn't that, but I could see that it could be. Yeah, those things that you talked about, they just seemed a bit anachronistic to me based on the setting compared to the way that they talked and then, as you say, the modern music. So I wonder if that is just a clue to that, but equally it couldn't be. It might just be anachronistic. That might just be the vibe of the film anyway. I think it could be, and all the way through it didn't bother me. I wasn't expecting to see Lord of the Rings. No, it didn't bother me either. It was just, I noticed it. I think it was an important decision and it'd be interesting to see what they do with it. Because if they'd have given me Lord of the Rings, I would have thought that's too serious for a D&D show. If they'd have gone straight into pointless, silly comedy, whereas that would have been well received by a certain part of the audience who do just want to have a laugh, again, it would ruin it for me. I do need them to walk that line. And I think that line can be walked using modern sensibilities and modern music and modern speech. Because even though there are going to be kings and queens, I don't expect to hear them talk in a medieval, holier-than-thou attitude. Even though there are going to be thieves, and I'm using the Hugh Grant is about to make this an interesting sentence, but I don't want to see all the thieves all grubby speaking in a Cockney accent in some horrible stereotype. I don't want to force that into this. And the fact that we are playing this game now does mean that it is something that is being done in the moment with our normal voices. Now, you will always get people around the table who want to say, ah, yes, gentlemen, come over here and thigh slap. But there will always be that person around the table that wants to put on that voice. But generally, most of us are just talking in a more accessible voice. Perversely, over the pandemic, there are groups like Matt Mercer and so on that have really made a big deal out of the whole voice acting thing. They've done professional gaming, and it's actually caused a bit of trouble around normal gaming circles because somehow now new players all think, if you don't do the voice and voice acting, I am a dwarf and I speak. If you don't do all that, you're doing it wrong, and it's actually making it harder for normal players to come in and enjoy I'm actually quite looking forward to this D&D being done in normal everyday language because, again, it goes to that accessibility of it. No, you just play. Don't get hung up on, I have to do it a certain way. And maybe I'm asking too much for what is just a film, but I'm just saying, I think it's a good thing. I think just making it normal and accessible means that you can have an adventure that is normal and accessible and you don't have to recreate Lord of the Rings to get it. Yeah, the different layers of reality thing, as in if it was some people running a campaign, then that opens up opportunities for sequels because you can just use the same actors and change their personalities depending on who is playing them. Like they did in Jumanji, if you've seen the more recent films. In the second film, they had different people taking on The Rock's role and Karen Gillan's role and all that, and they were behaving differently because... It was different people embodying them. And that's a more direct, as in these people get sucked into the game 
which might happen here as well. I don't know. <laughs> they haven't shown us any of that. So equally, it could be a magical D&D rule book or something that they all get sucked into and they have to work their way through it. I don't know. It could do, but do you know, we've seen enough, and again, you'll not want this detail, but you've seen enough detail in the trailer where people have zoomed in and shown you the badge that Chris Pine is wearing. And the badge is of one of the nice guy, good guy factions in the world of Forgotten Realms that they're using, which is nice to see the actual setting, by the way. But because they've put that faction in, and this is a faction that wants to, and I'm not a Forgotten Realms player here, so excuse my ignorance if I'm doing it slightly wrong, but wants to make sure that power is not distributed unevenly to the cost and detriment of everyday folk around. So they are trying to create a good world. And if you put a faction like that in as your power group and say, this is going to be important to our background, I think the focus is on people trying to do the right thing in the game world. They don't have to create a fancy world and and stick it in there. They could certainly do this multiple worlds thing where we're looking into it. And it's more about the characters outside learning some life lesson. But I think because they've taken such a lot of effort to put some of the morality and making things better into the game. I think that's going to be the focus. That's my instinct. I live to be proved wrong, but yeah, that's my instinct. I don't know either way, and I don't really have a preference either way of what the film should or shouldn't be. It just made me think that that's a possibility, considering what it is and the way that they've presented this trailer. But we'll find out, and we'll definitely hear more from you as it approaches or after it comes out, depending on how much marketing it gets between now and then. As long as you want. I've done um, two pages of notes and we have only touched on one third of it. So yeah, we can talk for as long as you want. (laughs) I think we should curtail the entirety of it for a two minute trailer, perhaps. But is there anything you definitely want to make sure was mentioned before I roll the dice and see what happens after that? I will just say that as a player of the game, it's really pleasant to see people creating something and put the level of detail in and the obvious love into it such that they have recreated not only the world that we're going to be seeing, but an adventuring party that captured the spirit of adventuring that we're trying to capture around the table. They were having fun. They were clearly on an adventure trying to make things better. And they also managed to capture the point whereby the party makes a mistake, does something horribly wrong, and the Game Master then gives them the opportunity to fix it. They have managed to get classic adventuring themes into a two and a half minute trailer. I was massively <laughs> impressed by that. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to this. There is a shot in the trailer that alludes to the game setup. There's like an overhead shot where they're around a table, and it looks like how you might imagine a D&D game to look. Yeah, extra little bits of detail that they've put in just because they care. Absolutely. I think that it's throughout, and that is only one example thereof. Yeah, that's one that definitely stood out to me when I was watching the trailer, of which I've seen twice, once just to watch it and then once for purposes of this. So if you don't have anything else pressing, then I can do another roll and then see what happens. you got to roll high to get rid of me because I want to stay and talk about this more, so make sure it's a good one. I'll just leave you in a room by yourself talking about it. No, we can't do it, actually. It's recording. Don't worry about it. You'll realise afterwards. You'll be like one of those actors that does a lot of prep for a film role and then realises the role was entirely cut. Yes. So your scenes were cut. So I'll give it a roll. Yes, that got rid of him. That's my lucky day. Aren't I good? And now you're stuck with me now again. I'm stuck with you again. Yeah. Is that really the good result? I don't know. We'll find out. We have two more trailers, both revealed at Comic-Con. The first one is for John Wick Chapter 4, and I don't have many notes on it. 
My notes are simply, looks like more John Wick, and I'm here for that. Great action. Those are the two things I know it. Mine looks like more John Wick, and I hate it. <laughs> it's only the third one you didn't enjoy, though, wasn't it? You enjoyed the first two. The third one kind of destroyed any want I have for this franchise. Because it's just an immortal man doing perfect headshots all the time. Is it perhaps because we watched all three movies in the space of, like, three days? I think it's because we watched all of them in the space of three or four days. <laughs> and I think I was just like, ah, oh, so much John Wick. I'm no eagerness to go back to, like, the first or second one, even though they're pretty fun. Just because I was like, I've seen Keanu Reeves do lots of headshots. <laughs> I've seen enough Keanu Reeves headshots to last me a life. <laughs> and yeah, I watched this trailer, I was like, oh, it's just more John Wick doing headshots. Spoilers for John Wick 3, I guess. He starts that film, The Most Wanted Man in the World, and he ends the film, still the most wanted <laughs> man in the world. The story doesn't progress remotely. I've definitely tapped out. I'm like, yeah, this will continue, but it won't continue with me. Well, it's going to continue in more ways than you think, because there's the Ana de Armas ballerina spinoff and the Continental TV show, which I think is a prequel. She'll do a ballet kick and then just do headshots. Yeah, basically. And I'm here for it. Really good action movies. And I haven't actually seen the third one since we saw it in the cinema. I haven't went back to it. I maybe won't do a rewatch of all three of them the same week that the fourth one comes out, because I might receive a bit of John Wick burnout. Yeah, it's easy to get the job like there now. It's all yours to have fun with at the cinema. Fair enough. Okay, last trailer is another trailer. There was one released like a week ago as well, but I haven't looked at that one. Just looking at the Comic-Con one. Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. And this looks incredible. It does look incredible. Unsurprisingly, because it's the most expensive thing ever. Funnily enough, a TV show that they spent a billion dollars on a single season looks great. I'd be upset if it didn't. The real every frame of painting situation. Yep, this just looks amazing. I'm pretty sure everyone's in the mindset of like, we don't really care what this is about. It's just a spectacle. <laughs> it's the right amount of similar to the Peter Jackson world, but also different enough to feel like not copy of the Peter Jackson world. So well, this looks really, really Yeah, good. it's recognisably along the same design aesthetic, but it is a prequel, so it makes sense that things look different. We have a few more details of what it's about. It is about the forging of the Rings of Power, funnily enough. It's explaining how all that happened. Yeah. You've got Sauron in it again. It's kind of disappointing that we've got a story that's just using the same villain that we've been using in the films. Well, it is the Rings of Power. It was going to show up. True, but in a way it's disappointing that it's all Sauron. That's the only thing that's important in this universe. It's only bad person in this universe is Sauron. It'll obviously be a younger one. It'd be a bit like if they did a Voldemort prequel for Harry Potter, wouldn't it? It's just, oh yeah, we know that he's a bad dude. It's fine. But he's played by Daniel Wayman, who I'm not sure what he's been in, but looks like he's nailing it. Morphid Clark as young Galadriel, who is, I think, the protagonist of the show, or one of. It looks like it, yeah. And it'll be her in her badass elven warrior days, which is potentially fun. It's always fun, yeah. Yeah, it looks stunning. I don't know what it was, but I was told that there was a lot of fan outcry about the first teaser. People just decided they were going to hate it after that. Mm, people always complained. Probably because orcs were women or <laughs> something. There's women in this Lord of the Rings thing. I don't like it. There should only be two. Maybe there's not enough rings or too many rings. <laughs> it's already been rumoured that Gandalf will show up. It'll be a younger Gandalf. In the first trailer, there's someone that falls out of a meteor or something like that, and it might be him. I'll be two lords. <laughs> Jude Law in a three-piece suit. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> just an interchangeable young Gildor and young Gandalf can also just Jude Law in a... Anytime you need a younger, white-bearded wizard, I'm your guy. <laughs> just Jude Law. <laughs> he has his suit, his dust jacket for his suit. It says wizard suit on it. 
just a Harris tweed. He just whips it on. He's like, yeah, he's got like a Sharpie pen and he's crossed out the word Dumbledore and he's got Gandalf written underneath it. <laughs> he's like, it's me, Gandalf. <laughs> I'm just picturing him in the middle of Middle Earth cutting about in his three-piece suit. Occasionally staring at his hand like, uh, yep. With his pocket watch. His pocket watch. Hands in pockets, staring out a window. Big... <laughs> Except there are no windows because glass hasn't been invented in Middle Earth yet. Sauron was his boyfriend before <laughs> Grindelwald. I've got such bad taste in men. <laughs> yeah, but they can't mention that it was his boyfriend. They can't say it. I've got such bad taste in very good friends. Two things aren't allowed in Middle Earth. Gays and women. Can't have either of those. Gays and women. But if you can't have women, then what are you supposed to do? I know there is a thing about women dwarfs or something. There's women dwarves in it, and dwarves can't be women because of Tolkien or something. There's a joke in Lord of the Rings, isn't there? You can't tell the difference between female and male dwarves because they just all have beards. Yeah, they're just big, big <laughs> characters. People complain, but they always do. I will definitely watch this. I don't know if I'll write about it, but I might just watch this for me. Oh, yes. I think it'd be a watch for fun. Just for the joy of... Immersing myself in Middle Earth once again. Yeah. Good stuff. So anything else on this Lord of the Rings trailer? Uh, no. Well, we did it. We made it to the end of our list. We can go into August. Yeah, that's it. We can now descend into August and then wait for more news to release. That was our discussion about the... July 2022 news and trailers, big Comic-Con special. That was all good stuff. We had discussions about things that are coming out at some point in the future. At various points in the future. Isaac, thank you very much for joining. No worries. For this monthly discussion. If you like what you heard, then please do hit subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. Basically where you're listening to this, there's probably a subscribe button. Just press it, please. And if you're on any of the apps, such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that allow in-app reviewing ratings, we would love a rating from you. But Isaac, what number would we like that rating to be? A nice round five. Nice round five. And if comments are possible, then leave a comment. A nice one. A nice one. Or constructive. We'll take constructive. Be constructive with your feedback. Yes. Oh, and I must thank Neil Stenson for the supplied music as usual. So thank you very much for letting me use that. Well done. If you want to discuss anything we talked about here, or anything really, you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or leave us a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. And as always, we hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pod. Bye.